the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Podcast. How are you? My name is Nick DeGilio. I am your host for the Nick D Podcast at Radio Misfits Podcast Network, the greatest podcast network in the world. Check out radiomisfits.com for all of the varied and entertaining and informative and funny and compelling and interesting and dramatic. All across the board, everything that you want to feel or hear, you can if you check out Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Ed Silla is my main man. He runs it all. You can check out our live streaming service as well. 24-7 unbelievable programming, great podcast episodes, and really cool unheard music from unsigned bands from the Unheard Music Show, another podcast at Radio Misfits. So you got great music and incredible episodes of great podcasts, including my own. I have two podcasts that you can hear daily at radiomisfits.live, 24-hour streaming service. It's like radio only cooler, and it's free. You can hear this podcast, the Nick T Podcast, daily at 3 p.m. Central. And you can hear my other podcast, which is all about Saturday Night Live, uh, and that show is called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. That you can hear every morning at 9 a.m. Central. So this podcast, 3 p.m. Central, and uh, my SNL podcast, 9 a.m. Central, as part of the 24-hour free incredible programming on our live stream, radiomisfits.live market, bookmark it, listen to it, awesome, cool. Welcome. It is episode number 202 of the Nick D Podcast. Coming up, Michael Phillips is going to join me. Michael Phillips is the film critic from the Chicago Tribune. Incredible writer, incredible guy, knows his movies, knows his theater. Never been on the podcast before. He was on my radio show years ago when I was at the car wash, uh, that little monkey outfit. And, uh, and he was, it, you know, he appeared there and it was, it was fun. I, I think I had him on a couple of times, but he's never been on this podcast. I've been doing this, but this is the, the 202nd episode and Michael Phillips has not been on. So Michael Phillips and I are going to talk about movies and being a film critic and what that entails and the reputation that film critics have, both unfair and fair. We're going to talk about uh, the year in movies, 2023. We'll talk about some of our favorite movies of the year and much, much more. So I'm very excited, just in general, to have a very intelligent, awesome conversation about movies and much, much more with the incredible Michael Phillips from the Chicago Tribune. So he'll be joining me. The great Esmeralda Leon is going to join me. Uh, we are going to continue uh, to talk about some crazy stuff. Uh, we'll have an update on Michael Bolton. Um, we're going to be talking about some, uh, some, some crazy uh, items and uh, dumb stories and people being dumb. Yes, dumb warnings on real products. We'll get to that as well. So that's all coming up right here on the podcast. If you would like to join us, we would love you to join us. Hey, you want to advertise with us? A lot of people listen to this podcast. So contact us and say, I would like to advertise on the Nick D Show. It would be great for you. It would be great for us. Be a sponsor. Say, uh, send us a note. Say, I want to be an advertisement. I want to do some advertising on the podcast. Sales at radiomisfits.com. Sales at radiomisfits.com. Write us right now. Let's hook it all up and you can be a sponsor. You want to be uh, a part of the show in general? Leave a voicemail. We have a voicemail system that's open 24-7 and it is for you, which means any time of the day, any time of the night, any time of the week, any time of the month, 
anytime at all when you feel the need to call, spend, uh, you know, spend some time giving us a message, anything you want to say, we want to hear it. 773-417-6948. That's our voicemail system. Call it now and leave a message. Drop us an email with any questions or comments or megaphone messages if you want me to say something into the magic megaphone, whatever you want it to say personally. I'll do it. I'm a monkey. Leave that too. NickDPodcast at gmail.com. That's the email address. Voicemail is 773-417-6948. Jason Skaggs does all the music and the sound and, the, and all the really weird stuff too. He's the best. He, uh, I want to thank him. He's down in Houston doing his thing. And, of course, Ed at Radio Misfits doing all the other stuff. Uh, we get a lot of uh, great emails and great phone calls here. And I encourage you to do both. I just gave you the number. I just gave you the email address. So please do it. And I got some emails here, a couple of emails that I want to get to. The first one, though, is actually about my other podcast. And I'm doing it on this podcast because the other podcast is kind of um, segmented and shorter. Um, and I want to talk a little bit more directly about the things that I'm talking about. I can, I can kind of go off on a tangent and go down side roads on this podcast. Whereas on my SNL podcast, it's much more informative. And it's, you know, I try to be more focused about the specific topic that I'm talking about in terms of Saturday Night Live. But I do want to talk about this incredible email that I got from somebody. And if you're an SNL fan and you're not subscribing to my podcast, that show hasn't been funny in years right here at Radio Misfits, there's something wrong with you and you should be uh, institutionalized because it's the best podcast about Saturday Night Live that's out there. And I'm not just saying that because I host it. I'm saying it because it's true. So if you're a Saturday Night Live fan, you need to, at this moment, go to RadioMisfits.com. And you immediately subscribe to That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. It drops weekly every Wednesday, a brand new podcast all about SNL. It covers every kind of topic that you can have. I have guests sometimes. Sometimes I don't. I talk about specific episodes and specific seasons and cast members and sketches and all kinds of stuff. It is a deep, deep, deep dive into the world of Saturday Night Live. I got 49 seasons worth of stuff to talk about, and I've just begun. So sometimes I have really great guests, and I've had incredible guests in the past, cast members, writers, producers. Uh, authors, and sometimes I don't have guests where I just dig deep into a specific cast member or a specific guest host or a specific episode. It is a great podcast that I'm really, really, really proud of because of all the ridiculous SNL minutiae I have crawling around between my ears. So anyway, you should check it out. It is That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years. And I just want to read a quick email from a fan who sent, uh, who sent uh, uh, an email to me. And, uh, and I just want to say thanks to that fan. Um, hello, I meant to write to you months ago, but somehow the time just whooshes by. I, like you, have been an SNL fan since almost the beginning. I've been watching since I was about 10. I was, pretty indulged, I was a pretty indulged only child, and even more so after my parents divorced, so I got to stay with watching it uh, and staying up late, um, not every week, but pretty regularly. I listened to several SNL podcasts, and I enjoyed them all, but yours came along uh, but until yours came along, there was not one that covered all aspects of the show from all time periods. Most focus on current episodes uh, and only do other show topics. Uh, the format of your show is very, very different. Each week, I never know what the topic is going to be. It's like getting a shiny new present to unwrap every Wednesday. I also respect that you share your honest opinions, good and bad. You always make it clear that it's just your opinion, and you never try to force an, uh, a listener to agree with you. SNL, like is like all pop culture, it's very subjective. Um, one... One fan's favorite sketch, character, season, cast member, etc. is another fan's least favorite. The beauty of your show is that there is something for every fan, 
as we will defend our choices to anyone who will listen. And that's exactly what you do in many of your episodes. The one devoted to Weekend Update Anchors, for example, I found especially fascinating. It's one of my favorite episodes as it brought back memory memories and taught me things that I had either forgotten or I didn't know. The whole discussion on the season when the guest host took turns at being anchor was something I did not remember that may have been before I started watching. And I'm glad it did not last. Okay, I know this is very long, but before I wrap up, I have to share that I found an SNL Vault Live station on Roku that shows blocks of sketches that they usually have in, in a common theme. Um, and then they rerun these blocks over and over again. And being a giant SNL nerd that I am, I will always watch that for hours. I've recently seen the potato chip sketch about four times. I had forgotten all about it, but now, after multiple viewings, I've come to love its complete absurdity. Please keep up the amazing episodes. You make my drive to work so much more pleasant. Your fellow SNL junkie, Shari, which rhymes with Starry, and Shari is from Michigan. Uh, thank you, Shari. I really appreciate that, and um, I am I'm honored that you love it so much and, uh, and everything that you said about um, my SNL podcast. Um, I appreciate it. I really do. So you should check it out. Shari, thank you for writing. And then Renee sends me an episode, uh, sends me an email. And again, if you want to send an email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com, you can do that. This is about this podcast. I recently celebrated 200 episodes. This is episode number 202. So that would be two episodes ago. Uh, hey, you might remember me. I was an avid listener during your super during a super rough period in my life. I wrote you a bunch, and you did a magic megaphone message for my cinema, which is still open. I don't listen to podcasts as much as I had been due to uh, being busy with a bunch of projects, but I was looking for something to listen to today, and I was happily surprised by your 200th episode. It's a great show. You picked such perfect clips. I really enjoyed it, and it reminded me of how much grounding and fun your show was for me when a lot of the rug had been ripped out from under me. So please keep on keeping on. That's from Renee. Renee, thank you for the kind words. I really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. And thanks to you uh, for, you know, getting me to episode uh, number uh, 202 right here. And it's going to be a fun one. And again, if you want to call and leave your comments or, uh, you know, anything you want to say, contribution 773-417-6948. I heartily encourage it. And emails at nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Please check out my Saturday Night Live podcast. That show hasn't been funny in years. It drops every Wednesday right here on this podcast. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. Hi, I'm Carrie yeah. Russell, and I love Nick's show. All right. So episode number 202, the great Michael Phillips from the Chicago Tribune, a great film critic and a great guy is going to be joining me right after I tell you about a book that you should read or at least do the audio on it or get it because it's awesome. And I'm happy to talk about it again. Hey there. Are you tired of that same old, the same old stories? Well, buckle up because Brian Alaspa's Devoured. Yeah, that's right. Brian Alaspa's Devoured is about to take you on a wild ride. St. Louis is teetering on the edge with riots, unrest, and the mayor's downright stubborn insistence that the 4th of July must go on. But don't tell that to public safety manager Logan Field. He's got problems bigger than the most overcooked barbecue. With a deadly attack, a missing boy, and mysterious events that make your Aunt Sally's ghost stories look like a fairy tale, something sinister is brewing in the city. Logan's at his wit's end. The only help he can find is a struggling hunter and a professor who's a whiz with ancient evils. It sounds like the start of a bad joke, right? But there's nothing funny about what's awakening in St. Louis. So join the race against time as this unlikely trio faces down an evil as old as time itself. Think your commute's tough? Try saving a city from being, you guessed it, devoured. Brian Alaspa's Devoured will have you laughing and gasping and frantically flipping pages. 
So grab some popcorn, turn down those lights, and dive into a world where saving the city just might be the craziest 4th of July ever, and trust us, it's more exciting than a sparkler, and the only thing that might get burned is the midnight oil as you read till dawn. Brian Alaspa's Devoured. Thrilling, chilling, and the perfect way to spice up your summer. It's available now in paperback for Kindle exclusively through Amazon.com. Brian Alaspa's Devoured. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jackoff. All right, I am very excited to welcome uh, to the podcast, first time ever to the podcast, which is astonishing to me, actually, because I've known this guy for a long time. Um, he's one of my favorite people in the, in, in, in the, sh- in the screening rooms when I, get to, when I get to see the movies ahead of time at press screenings. Uh, I, I love reading his stuff. I think he's a great guy. And it's, again, as I've said, it's very, it's very strange that uh, he's never been on this podcast. Film critic for the uh, Chicago Tribune and so much more. I'm very excited to welcome to the podcast uh, Michael Phillips. Hi, Michael. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me on. I had a buggy enough to get here. Well, I know. Jeez. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, we've, we see each other frequently in screening rooms, and, um, and i got to say that, um, you know, uh, I have fun conversations with people in the screening room, but always in, in my top three conversations that I have and pleasurable moments that I have that are shared in the screening room are with you, Michael. I just think you're great, man. Oh, Nick, likewise. Well, you know, we have weird intersections of, uh, of our tastes, I think, sometimes. Because I, f- I know that I, I've, I know a bit about, you know, we've, we're going to talk a bit about the, uh, um, uh, the uh, you know, the, the year-end list, the best yes. and worst. Uh, but, and, and, so, and much agreement, and then, like, hilarious disagreement. And so, yeah. It's so extreme, you know. So, it's always fun. Uh, it's always fun. Yeah, it is. It is fun. Well, and before, I, yeah, 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 let's go. I was just going to say, before we jump into, we're going to talk about uh, the, the, uh, the year of uh, 2023. Uh, we're going to give your best movies of the year, and I'll give you some of mine and stuff like that. Because I'm not going to unveil the whole list, because that's going to be a special podcast in a couple of weeks with my regular boys, who you know, Eric Childress and Steve Procopi. Absolutely. Um, I like them, too. They're, yeah. s- they're smart fellas. They're good guys, and they're my regulars. <laughs> they, they join me every other week to review all the new movies, and we're going to do our year-end thing in a couple of weeks. So I want to—I mean, people already know, because I'm not—you know, you know me. I'm Captain Hyperbole. I run around screaming about stuff all the time. <laughs> um, so people—it's not, it's not, not a real surprise for what of some of my favorite movies are, so we'll definitely get into that. Um, uh, one thing, one thing, Captain yeah. Hyperbole. If you made that film, what kind of quantum realm would? You, how would you design it? How, how could you? Be, I, you know, let me let me explain something to you. I would stay so far away from multiverses that you couldn't even imagine. Because I have, <laughs> I am so done with quantums and multis and verses of any kind. Uh, yeah, it's just, yeah. it's, it's, oh. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, I guess the next step would be, you know, the, the multi-blank verse or something. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't know. What, I don't know what the next step is. But all right, all right let's go. Let's hit well, it. Let's... So, so here's, here's what we're going to do. I, I want to I talk about 2023 and the best and worst and all that stuff. And then an, an interesting conversation that you and I had in the lobby uh, before one of those screenings at the River East uh, that involves the year 1977. Mm-hmm. And that's how this whole thing started. And you're like, hey, let's, get, let's do a podcast thing together. And I'm like, all right. But before we do that. You know, since it's your first time on the podcast, and I, I just want to know, and I'm sure people are really interested, they read your stuff, you're a really great writer, and you know your movies. 
Um, how did you get into film criticism? Because I know you were a theater critic. Yeah. Um, and how, how did that, first of all, tell me how you got into the, into, you know, theater critic, uh, theater criticism and all that stuff. Let's go from the beginning. How did it all start for Michael? And it goes way, way back. I was a movie geek, you know, and, uh, and uh, growing up in Racine, Wisconsin, uh, as a, you know, I was born in 61. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in those uh, days before cable and everything, uh, growing up in Racine was perfect because you could get the Milwaukee stations and the Chicago stations. Mm. Movies, 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 you know, late right. night. You know, commercials always coming in at the wrong moment, but that's, right. you know, that was life, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and, and so that was, uh, that was a wonderful sort of starting point. Also very uh, fortunate. Uh, my folks enjoyed going to stuff, uh, you know, uh, plays, movies, musicals, everything. Milwaukee, occasionally Chicago. We'd come down to Chicago two or three times a year, sometimes stay overnight at the Sheraton Chicago, now Ooh. the Intercon, right, with a nice big pool. Look at that. And, uh, you know, I remember seeing things like, you know, uh, you name it, uh, dog shit movies like uh, The Happiest Millionaire, the Disney oh. film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus and, Christ. I mean, you know, and then the look <laughs> on my dad's face as we came, as we would sort of just sort of slink out of these three-hour behemoths, and he would, yeah. all he'd say is, like, we're going to the Burgoff. You know, right. and, that, and that that was, and that was a good that was good news for us all. But but yeah, yeah that you know that was that was kind of my upbringing. And uh, uh, college, or I'm sorry, high school paper, uh, very very happy time to kind of try writing about movies for the first time. Um, why? Well, I got to write about Jaws and Star Wars and Taxi yeah. Driver. I mean, it was yeah. like a wide range. Of, I mean, I certainly did not have the uh, critical or emotional resources to deal with anything as rough as Taxi Driver, but there yeah. I was giving it a shot. Yeah, probably writing so much like Pauline Kale that you know she could have sued my ass. But <laughs> uh, but but that you know that was the start. And and at the same time, I was doing a lot of theater, doing a lot of plays in high school, and that kind of combo continued at college, University of Minnesota. Wrote for the college paper, excellent paper, incredibly well funded. Uh, wrote about theater there, and then some movies. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I got my first, uh, you know, legit job outside the college paper at the weekly uh, City Pages, uh, and became one of the two film critics there. And then from there, it was sort of back and forth for 35, 40 years. Theater, many, uh, much of that time, started with film. And but by the time I got to the Tribune here in 2002, a few years into the film. Uh, the theater beat once again, uh, from which I moved. I moved from the LA Times for that. Yeah, uh, ha- happy to move here for theater. Yeah. Uh, and but but I really was itchy to get back to film at that point, and it was just sheer luck that I had developed two, I guess, specialties over that time. Because one, you really risk some burnout, I think, and I I, I did. So it was very very it was life saving, career saving for me to have two things to kind of. Yeah. go back and forth between. So, yeah. there it is. Yeah. That's it. It's interesting. Another thing that you and I have in common, I did theater for, I was uh, the AD at the Factory Theater here off and on for about 12 years. Oh, and, slick. Okay, okay, and great. I, and I wrote and directed a ton of plays and acted in a bunch of them and stuff. So, the theater thing is like in my blood as well. 
Uh, and I think that's another reason why you and I get 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 along. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and and it's just it's in the blood of the city, and and it's in yeah. it's like half half the people in town either took classes at Second City on the you know I'm one of them. They did, I did. Yeah, that. exactly. Right, and yeah. and uh, or or worked all over the place wherever you know the organic at the eighties or you know yeah. whatever whatever. Else, I, you know. And I I remember uh, you know I, I I often tell this to people, and you know I and I personally think that uh, Chicago is the best theater city in the country, and uh, people might disagree with me and say New York. But Chicago is one of those places is the place, I think, where you can hone your craft in front of audiences yeah. anytime. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, there are theaters and there are spaces all over this city and even in the suburbs where you can do a show for 25, you know, a house of 25 or a house of 300 or whatever. Um, and you can work in storefront theater. That's exactly how I did it. And I ended up doing 20 years worth of theater. And won there you some, go. I won some no, Jeps and absolutely. Some other awards and all that stuff. And there's no question, Nick, that there's no other uh, training ground like uh, like that kind of available. You know, there's so many theater troops, just the right combination of a half dozen people come out of college together, maybe. Maybe they yeah. don't. Maybe they just meet in Chicago and get something going. And, you know, there was a really good chance you'd probably get reviewed if you were any good at all. Yeah. And, and, and that to, kind of encourages you. Yeah. We used to just sit and wait, like, uh, you know, like, oh my, if the Trib came, like, the Reader would come, New City would come, and some of the other smaller papers and periodicals would come. But, man, if we got a Trib review, like, you know, like, right. God forbid, like, I mean, it would be, it, we, we would pass out if Dick, if Dick uh, Christensen would show up. Like, it would be, like, <laughs> oh, my God, you know, the whole world would stop at that point. Um, well, and, right. and, and yeah, yeah, Dick's the reason I'm here. I mean, because I got to know him early on at, uh, at the O'Neill Theater Center. And, yeah, uh, an amazing I, man. Yeah, yeah, and we kept in touch. And then when the job, when he, that was a really uh, one of a kind transition too, because that was a beautiful experience to have him yeah. uh, there and a very kind of slow exit. I mean, we were working together as he was leaving for months yeah. while I was new for months, and to have yeah. that kind of mentor right there, amazing. So I'll never have that again. And, and again, a, another thing that you and I have in common: my mentor was Roy Leonard on WGN Radio. Oh, okay, of course, I would not, of course, yes. I would not have a career without Roy. He took a liking to some 17-year-old dickhead and uh, started saying, look, I can't do kung fu and horror anymore. You handle that shit. And so that's how I, got, that's how I started reviewing movies. That's how I started reviewing movies on Roy's show. And there you go. Good. I good. became partners good. with him, and then I got my own radio show and became a professional critic and all that stuff. So, yeah, but uh, Richardson, right. uh, Christensen was an amazing guy. Uh, absolutely yeah. a, a stunning Yeah, guy. totally. Yep. All right, let me ask you yep. very quickly. Do you have, like, what's one of the best theater productions that you saw in Chicago Maybe not, you know, like I'm, I'm not, maybe not Broadway in Chicago kind of stuff, but like, you know, storefront Chicago theater. Do you have memories of some of your favorites that you've seen? Tons of it. I mean, yeah. r- really tons of it. it uh, I mean, I guess I, uh, on, the, on that top, I hate to say, put it this way, the top 10% of the iceberg, I, all those long before I moved here, I remember seeing uh, And a Nightingale Sang, which is oh, a very, yeah. very tricky, gentle British comedy drama set in World War II. And that was my first experience at Steppenwolf, early 80s. Yeah. Joan Allen, Mahoney, everybody, Laurie yeah. Metcalf. I mean, there wasn't anybody who wasn't. <laughs> and I, I, that was just pure magic. And, and, uh, and then when I read it, when I, and this is an interesting thing about doing just a little bit of research. When I read that play later, and it's written in a very unusual style because it's all ellipses and interesting cutoffs, and there's a lot of deliberately overlapping dialogue, which is no, no new invention. But, but it was... It would have been impo- It would have been so easy for that production to not work as beautifully as it did. And I, I don't know. I just anyway, that's great. That's not really storefront, but man, I remember seeing some stuff actually early on when I started reviewing here, you know, full time. Uh, 
uh, at Pla- uh, is it, I think it was called Pleistocene, Dexter Bullard's oh, uh, yeah. company. Yeah, that physical, yeah. that kind yeah. of site-specific physical theater, yeah. uh, especially if it involved, you know, kind of moving from room to room and, and if it, a mixture of this very low-budget uh, t- technical video elements and really, yeah. really aggressive physical stuff. I just love that. I still dream about that. Those show. guys, <laughs> those guys use the space so incredibly well. And I know a lot of we worked in a we, uh, we shared a space with those guys a couple of times because we used to work out of uh, when I was with the, I was with the hypocrites for a while. Uh, for, with oh yeah, so some great shows there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Sean Graney, I was in uh, I was in a bunch of their shows. I directed uh, I directed Lake Boat, David Mamet's Lake Boat for them. Great, um, great. And, they did uh, a great. They did a great glass menagerie too. They did a fantastic yeah. glass menagerie. Really Michelle, good. Michelle Moe, uh, I mean, just incredible in the lead. And uh, and we actually did a lot of our shows at the Viaduct, which was that space over on Western. There's not a Viaduct anymore because that that bridge is gone on Western. Right. At right. So it's no longer right. a Viaduct. But that space we we shared with a lot of really cool companies, and to use that space, and as you said, Plasticine Day used to do that kind of stuff beautifully in there. Beautifully. I mean, Beautifully. Yeah, no, that I, I love it. No, you could get anything. It, it's it's the best of what Chicago is when Chicago's working. You can you can live a kind of life with a little bit of money that you want in so many different parts of the city, and and, yeah. for, and get a completely different experience. And it just, uh, yeah, no, I'm uh, just always been happy to be here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, great. So then you moved on to uh, on to film and uh, and. Uh, and and, yeah. that, and that's always then. And you've been how long have you been writing with the trip now? You said was it twenty years? Two uh, thousand two is when wow. I started full time, and then and then we moved. I moved over to uh, film in uh, either oh six or oh seven. I think I've started writing a couple things in oh six, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah. And then so right. yeah, that's that's a long time. I don't want to be it's, many yeah. different technological changes. It is, and all boy, and and specifically, and I you know that I used to work for that company when they owned WGN, and then. Uh, and I was in that, you know, the, the, the building on Michigan, shared that building with all of, all of those great people who used to write. And, um, uh, and it was great. It was, it was fantastic at that time. But, man, all the crazy changes with the Trib. I mean, um, well, I mean, just the newspa- news, newspaper, in, newspapers in general, periodicals in general, have gone through such a massive change. How have you navigated that over these years with technology and with, you know, with all the things that have affected newspapers in general? Um, how have you hung out for the ride? Uh, well, uh, boy, you know, I don't know if I know the whole story there because it's it's always been there was a period where it's it seemed like in between. I mean, so many. I, yes. What the Tribune's gone through, Nick, is 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 endemic to the newspaper industry. Yeah. You know, changes and all the all the headwinds and all of it. It's also gone through an unusual amount of bullshit. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, to have to go from an owner like Sam Zell. <laughs> to just saddle the company with that much yeah. debt, and, yeah. and it's all legal. I don't understand capitalism, yeah. uh, that that form of it. And then to go to Michael Farrow, you know, yeah. just running out the door with so many tens of millions just ahead of the sexual harassment lawsuits. I mean, yeah. you know, all of uh, un, uh, stunning, you know. And then Alden Global Capital, kind of kind of a paragon of vulture capitalism. Yeah. Uh, difficult. I guess what's helped. Sometimes it has helped to be a specialist, and. For whatever reason, even though they can get film reviews and theater reviews, and I should point out that you know there's two, there's even in even in our current staffing, you know they have two people, me and Nina Metz, covering yeah. screen screens. Basically, I do more film than TV. She does more TV than film. There's plenty out there, and in the pandemic, 
it's what everybody was hanging on to as a right. lifeline because right. they were at home, right? Right. Um, so it, it made some sense. But, you could, yes, you could also make the economic argument that you can pull any of that stuff off the wire and True. get rid of these people, you know. True. But but they don't. They haven't. Uh, partly it's because, I think, what's going on in Chicago and only in Chicago uh, it, it makes it more newsworthy. And uh, when you look at what's going on at the Music Box, Gene uh, Siskel Film Center, all of yeah. it, yep. it's a diff- and it's a good and it's a very good. It's gotten to be under Mimi Plauche a really, really good international film festival. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it, that that makes it more than just you know you know I when when I moved around all those years, Nick, with uh, with theater criticism. You know, I, I was a theater critic in Dallas, St. Paul, San Diego, L.A., Chicago. That job changed quite a bit every city because every yeah. city is different. Right. Uh, film film doesn't change as much, but the film scene and yeah. the film the film production here in Chicago all makes it more unique, singular, not yeah. not interchangeable with L.A. or New York. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned. Um, I mean, we are lucky to have places like uh, the Film Center and and, and Doc and uh, yeah um, and the Music Box and uh, you know we had the uh, the Chicago uh, Critics uh, Awards ceremony. Uh, the other night, and uh, Rebecca was there from Siskel Center, and Ryan, who runs the Music Box, was there. And I know both of those people very well, and uh, it, they couldn't be two more diverse and amazing places where they are doing some programming. The Music Box, in, 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 in particular. I mean, you know, Steve Procopi, who is the, the PR guy there, he is, he's my regular film critic on this show, on this podcast. And I spend, it's like a second home for me. I mean, yeah, you yeah, know, like, this, yeah. I mean, you know, next week they're showing Eyes Wide Shut in 35. I mean, how am right, I not going right. to go to that? And right, right, exactly. uh, they're doing a, 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 a series of matinees in January that are Hitchcock and Friends, where they basically are showing movies that are kind of Hitchcock ripoffs. Right. Um, and they're showing Blowout, which is one of my favorite films of all time. And they're showing that in 35. And they're showing That's Charade great. in 35. And, you know, and the Film Center is doing, uh, you know, in February, I was talking to Rebecca at the, at the thing they're doing, like, uh, Hot and Heavy, which is all sexy movies uh, in February for, for Valentine's Day. And, you know, between Rebecca and Ryan and everybody at those two places and Doc on the south side, um, man, we have great venues to see great programming in film, we're lucky. I mean, this city yeah, has got very. a great film scene. A great film scene. Very, yeah. And, and man, somebody somebody should write a business story, or you could write a whole book on how the Music Box showed the way through the pandemic. When, Absolutely. when I mean, they did everything they could, and and they had the right owner, still do, Bill yep. Schaff. You know, yep. uh, kind of a hard nosed guy, but he's yep. got, but you know, he. He spent the money he knew he wouldn't get back immediately, if ever, on yep. making that theater what it is just as a physical venue and yep. breaking down the wall and putting in a lounge next door. It's yep. all, and it just feels great. I it love does. taking I love taking people there for the first time if they're out of Me too. Me too. I love it. going there. It's it's great. And you know, you know, Ryan is Ryan is uh, you know running the place and uh, and I mean he's hired the right people. That staff they're so energetic and so young. I go in there and I feel like I'm ninety. You know, know? and like they're showing, oh, yeah, we're showing this movie, like uh, Runaway Train. They were showing Runaway Train, and I came to see that, and they were like, yeah, you know, they weren't even born when that movie was released. And I'm like, (laughs) Runaway Train, I love it. I always point to Runaway Train uh, as the film that, that, that if you only got, if you got three or less hours of sleep the previous night, that movie will still take care of your needs. You don't need to. You don't need to bring in attention. I mean, it starts at eleven, and yeah. you know, it, it, it's just well, great. I, mean, I find that movie that's one of my favorite films, and one of that enduring that incredible canon '80s era where they were doing the craziest shit ever. 
You know, <laughs> they were hiring Godard. They had Konchalovsky making movies. I mean, that script was by Kurosawa. Like, what the hell is happening? I know. I know. I actually uh, don't believe any of that's actually true. But but and yet it is. And yet it is. It is. So okay. Well, great. So there's the background, and and uh, that brings us uh, kind of up to date. Now, you and I have been sharing screening rooms for for a very very long time, as we mentioned here. But there was one day. It was earlier this year. So I guess a few months ago. I was talking with Alex, who is one of our lovely PR people, who uh, sets up screenings for us and, and very, does a great job. And uh, we were having a chat, and we were talking, for some reason, we were talking about Star Wars uh, slash Close Encounters. They both came out in 1977. And then you came up, and you were like, hey. And then we began talking about it. No, do you remember the, the origin and what brought you to the conversation? And what, what was it about the, the, the conversation that we were having about Star Wars and Close Encounters that brought you in? Well, first of all, I have to state for the record that I never come up and, and, and uh, ask to be uh, part of the conversation at all. So I'm sure you came up to me. Okay, so I, that, I need to make that clear. Right. I Sorry. I don't mean to misrepresent I don't you. Want, yeah. I don't want any false expectations with anybody else. Not going to talk. I, got I, got uh, I, I have been thinking a long time and not haven't really written something that I think I need to write at some point when it makes sense about about that year, 77, but, yeah. but particularly about these two films, right? The, the phenomenon of Star Wars, and then a few months later when it finally came out, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, right? Um, which was in development a lot longer. I mean, and, and it just, but the effects were really vexing and time consuming and expensive and for, on Close Encounters and on, on Star Wars. But uh, I, I've always felt that the cultural influence of Star Wars. Uh, uh, all these decades, mm-hmm. and how it ha- how it kind of rerouted the entire film industry, uh, has been a mixed blessing at best, and I actually think uh, worse than that. I think it I think it's a sum negative for yep. for for where we are as a as a movie culture today. Okay. And I I you know I mean people. They don't even treat it like a movie uh, franchise. You know, they they treat it just like a fact, like a re- like we have several religions in this country. You know, and right. and Star yeah. Wars is kind of one yeah. we can all agree on. Well, not really, actually. We can't all agree on it because yeah. yeah. And look, I saw Star Wars four times when it came out that summer. When when I saw a movie, but I was the kind of, I was the kid who, if he didn't like a movie, he only saw it twice. You know, so I know. Yep. You know, and four was like, yeah, it's a good time, and it was it it had that thing. Tony Scott, uh, is, you know, Scott had wrote about it this way, and I like the phrasing. You, you, you played it like uh, shoving quarters into an arcade game, yeah. and and that's that that was the experience of the of the battle sequence, the aerial battle sequences in Star Wars, and they were you know damn good for what they were. Yeah. And and I also think that uh, what would have happened, Nick, if Luke George Lucas had gotten the rights to remake Flash Gordon, and it would have been essentially the same film, but with Kind of more antiquated, like Emperor Ming, uh, and and you know more of a probably a campier edge uh, yeah. than Star Wars had. I, I and then we wouldn't have this phenomenon. I almost wish he had gotten those damn rights. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. I don't like I don't like the shorthand answer is this, and I want to hear what you think. I don't want to dwell too much now, but it, it put the movie industry in touch with where how much money could be made yep. by uh, by you know doing. Uh, you know, remaking old Hollywood serials in sort of a zippy, uh, technologically up-to-date, you know, two-hour yep. package. And yep. it, it kind of sh- shoved us all into an arrested development phase 
of movie going that we've never really come out of. And I, I don't. Agree. I, I, I resent it. I agree with I agree with you 100 percent on that, and it's, it's funny. Now I'm you're four years older than I am, so when Star Wars came out, I was 12, so I it should have been right in my wheelhouse, you know. Yeah, and it was as far as my friends were concerned, and they responded to it the way that 95 percent of 12 year olds in 1977 responded to it. They went ape shit over it. Yeah. And, yep. Yep. Um, and I just was not. Now you have to understand though, uh, Michael. I've been going to the movies by by 1977. I've been going to the movies for many, many, many years. And I don't know if we've ever discussed this, but I grew up um, going to movies starting like at the age of five um, into the loop, into the grindhouses and seeing movies with my dad and uh, with a largely very vocal, very rowdy African-American audience. And I was seeing things like, you know, I was seeing all the blaxploitation movies. I saw Shaft. I saw all the all the blaxploit, the Pam Greer films, all that stuff. I saw horror movies. I saw everything that you could possibly see. I saw them at the State Lake or the Chicago or the Loop or the United Artists or the Woods or the Roosevelt. Those, that was my kingdom. Yeah. And so by the time Star Wars came out, I was already, I had already developed a thick skin. <laughs> and, and I had seen like genre movies that cost a third that I thought were much cooler. Uh-huh. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and, like I, and even I kind of, kind of sensed bullshit when I saw Star Wars. And I was only 12. Yeah. And, um, and, and so, so when I saw Star Wars, my friends went crazy. But the thing is, when Close Encounters came out, it had that was the movie that I latched onto. I mean, that same, was same, same. That's that why we're movie. talking. This is why exactly. we're here to talk about. Yeah, that's why, why that, that, why, that film. That movie, that's the film. <laughs> that's the that's the movie that captured my imagination. Now, you you talk about and, and and I agree with you entirely. You talk about how Star Wars completely changed the world of cinema without question. The way that it's consumed, the way that it's perceived. Everything about, especially commercial cinema and box office, was because of Star Wars. But the lock was jimmied two years earlier with Jaws. Like Spielberg, you know, the whole summer blockbuster thing began right. with Jaws. Right. But the thing about it is, Jaws is a goddamn great movie. Like Jaws I'm with is a, you. I'm with you. No, and, and today, today it seems like a, it seems like kind of a ruminative character study because it's the pacing is so is so yeah. kind of like <laughs> in, in its way very patient and doesn't does. There's, there's people who see Jaws for the first time today, age eighteen or twenty or whatever, yeah. and 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 they're they're looking at it like it's a Romare film, you know. Yeah. And, it, and whatever. There we go. Yeah. But but yeah. But see, so for me. You know, because of my upbringing, going to see all of these genre films and even big movies down in the loop uh, in a very specific environment, you know, um, right. and, 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 and having that be a part of my movie going experience for my very young formative years. So when I saw Star Wars, I was like, whatever. And then my friends were like, we're going to go see it again. And I'm like, all right, I'll meet you at the other theater afterwards because I'm going to go see Close Encounters. You guys can go <laughs> see Star Wars for the 90th yeah. time. I'm going to go see Close Encounters for the fifth. So right. and it was the it was the movie that's the one that captured my imagination. Totally, that's totally. The one that, yeah. that I yeah. was like thrilled with and I thought was so incredibly powerful. I'm with you. I went I had that I still remember the feeling and I saw that six times and because yeah. I really loved it. And and it, I think the last half hour of that oh. is is just is, and I'm and we have to be clear here. We're not ta- I'm not talking about any special edition right. nonsense, you know, where 77 you, version. Yeah, where you see the inside of the ship, which is like <laughs> the dumbest the dumbest yeah. mistake Spielberg <laughs> ever made. Yeah. Uh, but he, uh, you know, kind of a relentless fiddler with his own, you know, yeah. like, like t- tinkerer always, yeah. you know, with his stuff. But but that I think that is, uh, you read some of the best reviews of that. Uh, I was just looking at them this morning uh, of uh, of the of that film and that particularly that last 30 40 minutes and 
they do talk about it like it's kind of like what this is it. This is what this, the medium was invented for. Absolutely. It, it's it's a little like uh, it's a little like you're back a hundred years, well, but then seventy years to uh, Georges Méliès, you know, with Trip to the Moon, where you just kind of can't believe what you're seeing. Yeah. But it was just. It's also John Williams' greatest score, you know. And I, I sometimes I just think he's kind of you know too much in sort of a yeah. familiar way. But yeah. that's a brilliant, a truly brilliant score. And of course, the whole storyline with the with the uh, you know uh, the five note theme that runs through it with the communication with the aliens. I mean, it's just I don't know. I I, I, I just floated out of there on that yeah. one. And with Me Star too. Wars, Star Wars, it was just more like having a cup uh, like a thirty two ounce corn high fructose corn syrup. Coke, you know, yeah, not, yeah. Even, not even a cl- not even the yeah. good stuff with sugar, you know. Yeah, but yeah. it's it, you know, I look I, and I, I don't begrudge people from it. Just uh, you know, ha, you know, just thinking the world of their favorite Star Wars entities. I mean, and I I do appreciate by now that we've got a wide variety of 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 worlds within that Star Wars franchise. You know, on television, yeah. streaming, uh, uh, and I mean, and I do think. Uh, in some snobby, you know, uh, keep your eye out for what a director does for a living way. I think when I saw the second Star Wars film, first or second year of college, uh, I, I thought this is more like it for me. And why yeah. is that? Why? Yeah. I, I yeah. said, and I think it, I honestly think it's just a matter of the settings are less antiseptic and more interesting. It's like the, it's cold, it's wintry. It actually feels like more like real people stuck somewhere on this, right. you know, in a variety, in a really crazy variety of settings and. You know that film, it was more was more like it, and then it was gone. I mean, the rest of I you know I didn't really care about the third one or no. Nope, and, and I've liked so I, I've liked a lot of them. I've liked a lot of them, but I just I, I I'm still wrestling, Nick, with the some impact of that phenomena and how and then the '70s were over. I, I had already like you, uh, in a different way, up in Racine. Yeah. Um, and I used yeah. to come down. I, I mean, I saw like you know Bingo Long at the uh, Chicago yeah. Theater. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I came down for stuff. Uh, yeah. uh, but but I had already, you know, my folks are fairly uh, uh, liberal, and I used to go to uh, you know films uh, with one or the other of them, R-rated films from about age twelve or thirteen on. And that you know, what did that mean? Altman stuff. You know, some yeah. of it kind of rough and and you know like yeah. peculiar to me. Long Goodbye was really on California Split. I remember seeing. Yeah. Uh, you know, Marathon Man, stuff like that with my dad. Um, you know, and that, I was eager for some sort of, um, uh, adult, you know, movies that sort of helped explain a world I didn't know yet to me. You know, yeah. the world of adults and sort of like, different. and also that was a time we should point out that, that, that you know, post-Watergate stuff, that kind of sour, bittersweet air that was in a lot of really good, movies, great movies at the time, Chinatown, Second Godfather. Uh, which again, both of which I saw before I was fourteen. Yeah, um, uh, I think fifteen, fourteen, and uh, uh, you know, it was the, those times were such that, as my friend Eric Limbaum says, and he, he's a guy you should meet sometime. Yeah, <laughs> he's great, great on movies. He says, you know, you go to a movie, and if it didn't have a, a completely unhappy, bleak, nihilistic ending, you <laughs> felt totally cheated. You felt cheated somehow. Right. You know, right. and then Star Wars comes along, and and it really did. I th- I do think that audiences had probably had enough of. Uh, that other stuff, and they needed something. They they responded to something that really didn't make uh, yeah. any emotional demands on them, yeah. and gave yeah. gave them the happy ending they wanted. It, well, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because I mean, if you look and and uh, you know, and again, I don't know what it says about me. My favorite decade of cinema is the '70s, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it is. And 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 a lot of it has to do with just how dour those movies were. If you think about it, like Taxi Driver. <laughs> 
was released by Columbia Pictures. Like, it was a big, wide release. Can you imagine someone trying to make Taxi Driver today and not I have know. it be, be like A24 at the least? You know? Right. It's, it, I just, right. it's incredible. I mean... The, well, the, it had... Yeah, I mean, this is... That was a weird time, right? I mean, I mean, they weren't spending so much money that... That they had constant scrutiny, you know, yeah, and yeah, even yeah. if that, even if that was a cocaine-addled set, even if, <laughs> right. even if they were shooting without permits, I don't think they got all the permits they needed to shoot yeah. on the streets of New York. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think they must have been sold on the fact that it was all there was an incredibly pulpy revenge thriller in one way, yeah, and then kind of a critique of that, of that sort of vigilanteism in yeah. another way, and that's why that film still is so profoundly unsettling because it plays it right down the yeah. middle. It does. And and, it does. and, and, and you, I think Nick, you can always look to how a movie does uh, for some indication of its success because Taxi Driver made enough money to keep Scorsese in the game. You know, yeah. It was, but it, it was not the kind of it, it didn't make Rocky money. You know, for right. good reason, for obvious right. reasons. But right. but that that kind of you know small bet is just sort of off the table with the studio system now. Yeah, it's true. It's interesting. Yeah. You know, you talk about the the, the the films that really did something for you, and I've talked about this several times. I don't think I've ever mentioned this to you, but the movie that literally changed my life was uh, was John Carpenter's Halloween, um, and I saw it on a Sunday morning at the Chicago Theater, um, <laughs> and when it was over, because I had seen a ton of movies by that point. And when it was over, I remember specifically walking out and looking at the poster to see who directed it. Because it was the ha, first time ha, I saw a ha. movie and I went, oh, I think I know what a director does. Because I saw those credits all the time, you know. Right. But right. I was like, I think I know. And then, like, I, I remember specifically seeing his name and going, John Carpenter. And then going to the library and looking up microfiche and stuff. And then going to Facets to see... Um, uh, to see Dark Star and to see Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, yeah, yeah, Assault, and, yeah, and, yeah. And then I dove into movies. Like, I was like, okay, this is what a director does. And that's when I was, like, discovering Fellini and Kurosawa and all these guys. And it was all because of Halloween. It was all because of that morning. I had seen enough movies to know what I liked, and I knew good from bad. Um, right. And then I was like, well, Carpenter... And when I, when I saw Halloween, I was like, I know what a director does now. And that's why Carpenter is my favorite director, because of that, that realization I had after watching Halloween. Um, where you realize what a filmmaker does, I didn't know. You know, no, no, and and, and it's and it's, it's still a mystery. I, I, I mean, you can break it down, and that's what you, that's what you need. You need you need to kind of learn about what the components are and and how you know what what is the specific relate. You never really know until you unless you hear about it or read about it. What right. what the specific relationship between a director and his, and his her cinematographer is because yeah. shot design you know it may be entirely a purview of the director may not be yeah. uh, and and all these you know niceties are really you know, constantly changing on you and that's why the medium is so stimulating but yeah. I, for me I think I think for you with Halloween Halloween mm -hmm. uh, Hitchcock for me was again a very conspicuous filmmaker a lot of you know, like really striking, sustained point of view, you know, uh, first person point of view shots, right. like Halloween. And I think there's something about Hitchcock's technique for me that was so grabby, you know, yeah, a, a, yeah. and not just in Psycho or The Birds, but but no, like in stuff that, yeah, and and and, and that there's there was a series on PBS, and this is what changed my thinking. It was back in oh God, I don't know, seventy two or seventy. I was young, like eleven or twelve, mm -hmm. and it was it was a series on PBS called The Men Who Made the Movies. 
Did you ever the see men that who or... made the movies? Yeah, Richard Schickel, the critic from oh, yeah. Time Magazine, yeah. was the was the creator of that series, and he just went down a list of, of course, all men, uh, all about to die. Frankly, you know, at the time, and did interviews with Hitchcock, Vincent Minnelli, Howard Hawks, uh, wow. you know, ba 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 and and these were uh, very tightly edited, and in some cases, not necessarily elegantly edited. Uh, you know, a lot of excerpts to make points, but that was that was basically a uh, here's what the auteur theory, you know, kind of like auteur theory 101 sure, was. Sure. And it was, and it was, it was really uh, a life changer for me. And I, I, bet. I just, I bet. you know, and that, yeah, yeah that was a stunner. That I was a stunner. I, you know what? I wasn't aware of that. Otherwise, because that's what I did. I dove into that world, you know, through books and things like that. After I saw Halloween, I would have, I would have eaten that special up. Jeez, Check it out. I'm you can kidding. find you yeah. can you can find a couple. I mean, it's, it was like an eight. I don't you know I don't remember. If, I think it was an hour long, but uh, but it's on. I saw one on YouTube recently. I will definitely you know, look it up. Yeah, the yeah. Men check who, them out. Check them out. The men who made the movies. PBS. Yep. Shickle. And yep. Shickle. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, great. I mean, that that's that's fascinating stuff, and and we have very similar uh, thought processes. Wow. Now let's let's uh, let's talk about 2023 in general. How did you feel about the year of uh, 2023? Film good year, I think. I, I mean, I do think I, I don't really give a shit about the herd, but I think a lot of people, uh, <laughs> a lot of people at the end of this year did take a look back. Every kind of critic, uh, uh, and every I mean, all film critics from here, elsewhere, all and and you add it up, and it was it was a year that was that. that yielded a lot i mean i really you know one of the best years in a long time and i can't quite relate it yet to you know um you know where it was was sort of kind of coming out of COVID a factor in that it was was it just a matter that but really no i mean i think i think it's a lot of it was just luck that certain directors um you know, f- for me, had made some of their strongest work in a long time. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought it was. I thought it was a terrific year as well. Uh, the thing about it, the, the difference between this year and last year is, at last year at this time, I kind of, uh, I kind of, I hated everything that everybody loved last year. Like I was one. I was, and, <laughs> and it wasn't by choice. It was not like. It just coincidentally, like all the stuff that ever, like I didn't, I didn't like everything everywhere all at once. I didn't like Elvis. I didn't like. There were so many movies that came out last year, like all the movies that were nominated for for Best Picture in the Academy, which was not really an indication of whether movies are good or not, you know. Yeah. But yeah. I, I I liked two movies that were that were of the nine that were nominated, and one and only one I really loved, and that was Banshees. And the other ones I was like, eh, you know, or hated them. <laughs> right, so, right. <laughs> but but this year there have been movies that made a lot of money that people are popular that actually ended up on my list. And my actually my favorite movie of the year was one was the biggest hit of the year, which is doesn't happen very often um, in my world. Yeah, this uh, is Barbie. We're talking. Barbie about, right? is my favorite movie of 2023. I just yeah, look, it was my number four. I mean, I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, no, I, I look, I, I just. It's hard to be cynical about the success. Why be cynical about the success of it? it it's I, that script did did so much right. It's it's crazy. It's a little messy. I, I think I think what's uh, the hallmark for me about a lot of the a lot of the big the the conspicuous movies, whether they were enormous hits like Barbie uh, and Oppenheimer, uh, yeah. which I know we don't agree on. We'll talk about that. Or like yeah. the Killers of the Flower Moon. The films are not entirely. Uh, orderly or or pristine. I mean, they're 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 kind of you know there's a zillion ideas going on, and and you can tell that in some ways it was made in the editing and um, you know the final shape, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but that that's a uh, I, I think Barbie uh, 
you know, and I really want to know someday, I want to hear about every single exasperating fight Greta Gerwig had to oh, have. I can't with imagine. The Mattel folks yeah. or the studio, you know, uh, uh, to, to, I, it, to get the money for the shooting the musical number that yeah. was, so con- was so apparently controversial with the studio, I'm Just Ken. It's like, I mean, yeah. think of that movie without it. And, you know, I know, you know, I know. Yeah. It, the thing about that movie was the reason why, I, I, I mean, I responded to it on every level because I just, I laughed my ass off the entire running time. And there's so much more to it. I, keep t- I kept telling people, like, when it came out, and I was like, I, it's the best movie out right now. And, and during the whole Barbenheimer thing, I was not, I, as you know, I'm not an Oppenheimer fan. I'm not a fan at all. And, I want to hear I run, more. I want to hear more. I want to hear more. I, I, I run very, very hot and cold on Nolan. Um, same, uh, same. You know, sometimes I really love his stuff. Sometimes I can't stand it. And Oppenheimer, to me, was like, it reminded me of JFK. And the last thing I want to be reminded of in my life is JFK. Which is a movie. <laughs> with you. Oh, I am so with you there. And that, <laughs> no. that puts us on an island of two. <laughs> I know. Exactly. But when Barbie came out, I just kept telling people, it's not what you think it is. No matter what you think it is. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, the, yeah, that's you, right. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, yep, I don't care yep, yep, what yep, you yep, think yep. this movie is. That's not what it is. No, no. And but was, what you say about it, it's, I mean, it, look, that's, the, it got, it got you laughing first. Oh. And, and then, and then it starts slipping you the Mickeys. And yeah. just make, make you realize that, that, that she's actually going to pull this off. You know, that I know. she and it's Noah Baumbach, you know, yeah. found a way to make that, make that, isn't that you know, amazing? Sort of it's journey of alienation sticks, and it's also got the funniest single exit line of the year. Oh my! God. I mean, you I, know, just I mean, just perfect, yeah. perfect. Yeah. You know, right, well, inevitable let, and perfect. Let's talk about yeah. your. Let's talk about your list. Uh, okay. Number ten on your list. We'll run it down. Number ten on your list is May December. Loved yeah. it. It was in my Loved top it. twenty. Yeah. What Thank is it about? What, what do you like? Todd Haynes in general. I'm assuming. I do. Uh, yeah. I do. I think this one. I. I. I know why people don't like it. Uh, I don't. I, I reject their reasoning completely. I, I don't. I don't. I, I don't need to. Uh, you know. I don't. I. You know. Peculiar tone. No question about it. Yeah. Camp. You're crazy. It's not. There's yeah. moments. There are moments that I don't think are successful in the film where it's going for a deliberate sort of stylistic gag. You know, yeah. where, where Julianne Moore opens the fridge and you get this sort of musical swell. And you <laughs> right, think of like, right. it's, it's, she's having some sort of like, you know, like threshold of revelation. And she's like, I don't think we have enough hot dogs. And it's like, that's just a joke. There's a right. couple of examples of that film that I think weaken it. But the, man, most of that film, nothing like that. Yeah. I think those two performances are great, uh, and, Natalie Portman. And, 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 I, and I like the fact that they're really prickly and... Uh, both uh, kind of weird, contrasting examples of toxic, uh, you know, toxic, uh, uh, you know, what do you, what you say? Um, yeah, what's the word? Well, there you go. Old man stuff. Here we go. Yeah. I forget. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just a, a kind of like a toxic approach to, to living and, you know, leading their lives, uh, you know, in the wrong direction. Because they're both really kind of unpleasant characters in a way. And they're really witty and compelling and yeah. the whole movie has just real juice to me. So that's, and, I, and, yeah, that's... and and I do want to mention. I think Charles Melton is unbelievable uh, as as Julianne Moore's husband. Like, where really did good. that come really from? Good. Where did really that come good. from? Not, this is a, not this sh- is a guy. Not sh- yeah, he, this is a guy from Riverdale. He's that's his that's his. He's on the he's on the WB show Riverdale. And yeah, he, I know, I know. <laughs> really good. I don't know if I'm with the fact that he's winning every supporting actor award right now. I'm not mm-hmm. sure of that. Because, but that's always a competitive category, just like not as competitive as best, best supporting actress because that is always the most competitive category because women have to work twice as hard to get the parts. True. You know, so, yeah, anyway. True. Yeah. Uh, and then Oppenheimer, which I'm not uh, – I, I just – I can't do it. I just thought it was a mess, and um, it just didn't do it for me. But everybody loves it. But now, now here, number eight is The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. 
Okay. Uh, uh, and and, yeah. and Ratcatcher, the Swan, and Poison. These are the four roll doll stories that um, that Wes Anderson did. Right. Um, this year now, and I have to say, I have not watched those uh, okay. because the the last two Wes Anderson movies have soured me so much on him. Right. Uh, because because I hated French Dispatch, and I and I didn't hate Asteroid City as much, but I also disliked it a lot. So I haven't right. watched it, but I'm a big fan of Roll Dahl, and and I'm and so tell everybody about this one. Okay, something about the short form of these yeah. four short, uh, very vinegary, in some cases very bittersweet Roll Dahl short stories. It, it's uh, that that style of Wes Anderson, and whatever that when I say that, whatever you're imagining, it, that's how these look and and move and and kind of perform for the audience. That style suits it extraordinarily well. I think there's something, uh, the fact that uh, Ray Fiennes, his, uh, who uh, had the best performance in my favorite Wes Anderson film, The Grand Budapest Hotel, the mm -hmm. fact that Ray Fiennes is kind of uh, in this prominently, uh, along with other actors who know how to you know, exist in that sort of deadpan, uh, hurry up, uh, sort of verbal delivery world of, of Anderson, but also uh, find so much variation and so much humor in it. Um, I think if you see those four films in that order um, uh, that I had them listed here in my yeah. uh, Henry Sugar, Ratcatcher, Swan, and Poison, it adds up to 90 minutes. I just think it, it is truly, uh, you know, it's for me, Wes Anderson's, you know, one of his best two or three achievements. And, That's correct. Uh, and yeah, I liked Asteroid City. A hell of a lot more than uh, French Dispatch, which I just found completely frustrating. Right. But I also understand your resistance to Asteroid City because yeah. the because much of the layer, the story layering, is really so kind of like self conscious yeah. and doesn't and, pay and, off. And, yeah, you know, and I'm yeah. and I, I think I've reached my limit of dioramas come to life, man. I just I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> okay, like, I, 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 yeah. I got it, man. I got and it. And my I'm, my big my big problem with Asteroid City is that I don't think I enjoy him in very small doses, but Jason Schwartzman. Is is not enough for me in a male lead. He is I not. Agree. I, agree I wish you were. Let's let's go to the to your top five real quick. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Uh, also in my top five. I Bingo. Love that. Loved um, it. Beautiful. Uh, Barbie is number four. Three Killers of the Flower Moon, which is number ten on my list, made my top ten. Uh, you know, a eighty-one-year-old man made that movie, and it, it felt like a thirty-year-old made it. It was, it, and and I got to tell you, um, and I loved everything about it. I know it's long. I don't care, and it, and it does feel jammed with things, and it feels like. Yep. Scorsese got derailed a couple of times, but even the derailing was fascinating and good. Right. But right. I got to say, the last 10 minutes of that movie, and I don't want to say, you know, in it, the last 10 minutes of that movie blew me away. Yeah, that was great. And yeah. I think this is an interesting thing. We talked about, like, noticing direction when we were yeah. kids especially. You notice the most, like, that's why people just, like, flip over Goodfellas, right? Yeah. Uh, if they see it for the first time. Uh, Scorsese has talked about in interviews a lot about, like, I don't want to move the camera much anymore. And yeah. a lot of it is just that, you know, he doesn't want to compete with himself. He doesn't want to do show-off. He extended right. takes forever. Right, right. And, and there's just something different about the technique in his more recent films. And, and yet it's, the films are still completely kind of vital visually. So, Absolutely. yeah, no, I, I'm a big Absolutely. fan of it. Nobody yeah. knows my number two, Nick. Yeah, no explain what it is so people can know All it's right. the boy. Complicated thing. It's a very short film, 25 minutes. There was an Israeli filmmaker... Uh, I'd have to look up the name. I'm sorry. Uh, um, uh, Israeli filmmaker who was killed in the October 9th Hamas um, massacre. Y Yahav Winner. Yahav, Yahav Winner. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and uh, the New Yorker did a story on this and linked to it. They got they got permission to link to a uh, his final film, which is this 25 minute portrait of a 
Israeli soldier who is suffering from uh, PTSD and he's home with his family and it's set on the Israeli side of the uh, you know Israel Gaza border and and it's it's all kind of in the shadow of war you hear a lot of bombs going off uh, missile strikes far away uh, and it, it's just simply uh, it's the most humane kind of um, uh, and and really gripping 25 minutes I probably saw uh, this year it's a beautiful film and the fact mm. that he never got to see it and never got to go on with his career is just tragic and wow. at a time when uh, everybody's forced to take a side between, you know, who are we, who who do, who are we pointing the finger at the most? You know, Hamas or the, the you know Israeli retaliatory strikes, which have you know ad, you know added up now to tens of thousands of you know ten ten thousand plus you know. Yeah, you, you can't have a simple reaction to this, and this film, um, not afraid to. To just say, uh, you know, it's all wherever the bombs hit, it's ground zero, man. You know, yeah. and yeah. and uh, uh, it's a beautiful film, and you can find it on YouTube, and and you can see it on, you know, and the, the link to the New Yorker piece. And I wrote about it on the Tribune because I wrote about that film and another one. And I actually that was the that was a beautiful and just tragic revelation that that film existed even. So yeah, I love it. I love okay. it. Okay, and that's called The Boy. And if you want to check it the out, boy. streaming on YouTube, The Boy. Yeah, 20 right, minutes, then, 25 minutes. Your number one movie is Past Lives, which is a film that I liked. I didn't love it as much as everybody else did. Um, and what was it about this movie that, that, that you liked? I, I thought it made one misstep, and I won't say because it gives something away. But oh, I thought it made, shoot. I, I, think, I thought it made one vital misstep in the last third. Um, yeah, but I still, but yeah. I still li- But I still really like it, and I can understand why people responded to it. I mean... I saw it at the Chicago Film, uh, uh, the, the Chicago Film Critics Fest at the Music yep. Box with a right. packed house, and peop- there wasn't a dry eye in the house. People were, lo- and the and and uh, and uh, and Celine's song was there and f- with a Q and A afterwards. So it was a big night. It was a big. There was a, there was a home crowd. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I, I don't have, um, you know, I just don't look at it as a weepy. I don't. I you know I don't. Uh, my emotional response is maybe a little. Different to a lot of things. I don't usually cry unless something falls on me. So I don't, you know, I don't, I, I don't really, res- I don't really respect or respond necessarily to like a, a classic sort of tearjerker. Yeah, I got but, you. But I got but you. past lives, I was just, I was holding my breath by the end of it. Yeah. That they would, that she wouldn't yeah. screw it up or make it too obvious or or make yeah. this. Rom- I guess you'd call it a romantic triangle. You know, make a cheap decision on it. I, I also another thing I'm wrestling with Nick is I don't know why at the end of the of some years, uh, I don't. I I look to the I I find myself looking to the small quiet, uh, yeah. masterly achievement that isn't that is in some many ways modest. You know, it's yeah. not is it what's it compared to Flower Moon or Oppenheimer or Barbie? It's it's yeah. it's hard. You know, it's hard, hardly I, that level. But it, you know, I, I have a few that fall into that category that are on mine. I mean, uh, I mean, I I think the Holdovers is one of those. It's a smaller movie, and I that was really I really responded to that. Like um, liked it a lot. Liked of it. an age. I thought was a really uh, extraordinary movie, Blue Jean, which was a film that no one really saw, um, was, which was another movie that kind of falls into that category. Um, and then a movie that I thought was profoundly entertaining, unbelievably funny, and had a great message, and I saw it three times that nobody liked but me, is Dumb Money. Which oh, I, I liked just, it a lot. I three and a half. That three movie. and a half. Yeah, I love that. No, movie. no, that should have been that in another. It's just in an alternate universe. That yeah. could have been on my top twenty. Sure, absolutely yeah. no. It's yeah. the only film of all these damn you know docudramas about like some some rise and fall of some 
you know, technological, uh, yeah. what would you say? Entrepreneurial, you know, yeah. like, like yeah. hiccup, either the Uber, the Uber docudrama or this, yeah, that's the, the or, only or you one got, you works. had Blackberry, which I didn't like. And then like, I mean, obviously you can talk about the big short, which I'm not being crazy about, but for me, there wasn't a misstep in dumb money. I mean, I love, yeah, the no, I like dumb money. I loved yep. the, the, you know, the little guy versus the big guy, the white trash, you know, because I think Greg, uh, Craig uh, Gillespie has become this like sort of spokesman for the underdog white trash. With this and I, Tanya, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, and, and, and yeah. I love that kind of thing. And, and, uh, and I, that's, that's one of those movies that I just, I'm kind of, st- I can understand it because I, I, when I talked to people about it, they were like, I don't want to relive the, the, the pandemic. And a lot of people were turned off by it because they were like, it's too recent and I don't want to live through that. And I can understand that. Um, yeah. But, but yeah. man, they're missing out on an incredibly entertaining and inspiring and very funny movie. I, yeah, I, no, that, no. that was one of those ones that I wish more people had seen. Absolutely, no, and I haven't seen a hell of a lot of your top twenty. Nick. eighth out of twenty, I have not seen. Now, what kind of film critic is that? Wow, God. Oh I haven't God. seen Birth Rebirth. Your number two. Yeah, yeah, I haven't uh, seen it. Haven't not seen a lot it. of people yeah. have. Um, it's, 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 a, of, it's a it's a great little twisted uh, sort of uh, David Cronenberg inspired take on, uh, a feminist take on Fran- Frankenstein, uh, which wow. of course is you could you can it's, it's very odd because my top three movies seem to be all connected. In some way, right? The, poor you, things. Poor, yeah, yeah. They all seem because poor things is like a version of Barbie. You know, I mean, right, it, right, um, right. But no, yeah. I, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I yeah. think, uh, uh, in fact, I think I, God, you know, I, I asked me in a month, and would I have poor things? You know, quite so far down the list, would I? Yeah. You know, I don't know. I probably, you know, yeah. these things. I don't fix a lot of like. Right. I, I rarely have any sense of certainty with well, these, you know. <laughs> let's let's close let's close with some of the worst because you and I agree on a lot of these. Uh, Ant Man and the Wasp, Pontomania, Cocaine Bear, Fast X, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I'm so glad to see that you put that on there because I just thought it was. And then uh, here's one that you and I bonded on, and the only people in the screening room that did the Killer, the David the Fincher. Killer. Jesus, the killer. Was that bad? It was terrible. I mean, I mean, my God, the killer. Yeah. You're trying to tell me that David Fincher, you know, you know, this, this supreme technician that he is, is going to settle for that little. You yeah. know, I mean, no, no, thank. I don't care if it was shot in St. Charles. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yes, that scene, that scene. Finally, you get a couple of actors acting. You know, yeah. I mean, you get you get Fassbender and Tilda Swinton. You know, I, yeah. I, but I, I just don't. Nah, no, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, Meg to the Trench, Renfield. These are all movies that I completely agree. Here's another one that you and I are kind of in the minority on Saltburn. Uh, People love that boy. movie. I don't. I don't. I just don't get it. I Emerald, don't. Get I, it. Well, I, I'm look. I, I don't quite know yet what what it is with me and and that filmmaker Emerald uh, Fennell. Is yeah. that how you pronounce it? Yeah. But I'm not, I, I'm not he, a fan. I'm not a fan of the uh, most promising woman either. Nah, right. Didn't it, like. Yeah. I, I think. Yep. I think there's a very. Uh, I think it's a it's a very easy, reductive kind of cheap way to look at class issues, and, I agree. and I just don't find the wit there. You know, yep. I think she's actually she's probably a better director than she is a writer. I think. Yeah. But it's and, uh, and, and uh, what you're saying about the class issues that's that to me is what makes dumb money work. Like that yep. got it. They yep. nailed it there. I thought so um, too. And then now yeah. the last one yeah. though, the last one on your on your worst list, I have to. I have to take a little umbrage with because I laughed umbrage. my ass off. I laughed my ass off during Strays. No, I, no. I, I strays? No. I, I, I laughed my ass off during that entire. I've seen it twice. <laughs> oh, but again, Michael, again, I can totally understand why it's on your worst list. But for some reason, the two times I saw it, I was falling off my chair laughing. I, the, the one I heard the most from on, on why is this on your list was Cocaine Bear. 
Why? I, I it's bad. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a bad you know, movie. I, I think people see a film with, you know, I mean, what kind of expectations do you have with it? It's just trying to, it's, you know, you think, okay, it's going to be a black comedy about uh, sort of a true, based on a tiny bit of a true story. Completely, yeah. Well, you know, like blown to me, but to me, it was like, it's, it's snakes on a plane. It's the title. It's like oh, snakes on a plane. Here's cocaine yep. bear. It's the same goddamn thing. It's like, it's with him. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, with it. I have to say, when I look at your top 20 and I see something like Priscilla on there, and I gave that three and a half stars, yeah. there's a lot of three and a half star movies. And I, I'm, I am not with you on Maestro, Nick. I like oh. Maestro. Oof. No, I like that. I like that film. Okay. I, I think I a lot of it's really good. But, yeah. but, you know, that, I wouldn't put it on a top 20. But, like, uh, in a, you know, look, in a slightly less good year, Priscilla, the. Uh, you know that that's the Elvis film. You know, absolutely. That's the, or I should say, that's the Presley film. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. That that is worth that is really worth looking at. Also, absolutely. I really I really liked Manal Beg's uh, opening night Chicago Film Festival. Uh, Manal Beg's We mm-hmm. Grown Now. Did you? We uh, Grown did, Now. You, mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you? See I that? did see it. Yeah. I, I was not as crazy about it as everybody else, but okay. Um, okay. Yeah. But you know that again. You know, and the other thing, I, I when I looked. I forgot about this. Is I guess if you could call Kunk on Earth, yeah, you know the Philomena Kunk, British uh, television character, right. at, in that in though in that um, yeah in that series of films that that had more laughs in it than any other mm. couple hours I uh, I spent you know but not for you. Well- no, yeah, no, I, I thought it was okay. Uh, I, I, um, so All right, okay, interesting. Huh? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't well, get listen, it, you know, Michael, it. it's been such a blast talking to you, man. I can't believe that this is the first time that you've been on the podcast, and I tell you what, it won't be the last for sure. Thanks, man. So we we just established Close Encounters way better than Star Wars, right? Star Wars influence dubious at best in the culture. Right. Yep. Uh, and uh, Barbie okay with us. All right, there you go. That sums okay, it up. Okay, man. Michael, always a pleasure, my friend. I'll talk to you. I'll see you in the screening room, buddy. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Bye-bye. All right, take care. All right. The great uh, Michael Phillips from the Chicago Tribune. Read his stuff. You've heard his best movies of the year. Great talking to him. A great guy. Fascinating dude. What a great conversation about movies. We'll get him back on again. That's the great Michael Phillips. Check him out in the Chicago Tribune. You know who else looks great? Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esma. I'm talking about that Esma. Esmeralda Leon, yeah. Esmeralda, yeah, yeah. Esmeralda Leon, yeah, yeah. Get yourself some asthma. Love me some asthma. Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda. And it's time to say hello to Esmeralda Leon, who we are lucky enough to talk to on every episode of the Nick D podcast and it's always a highlight. Hi Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are oh, you? I'm all right, you know, things. Oh, good to know. You know, all right. I haven't heard back from the CTA about our proposals from last episode. How uh, dare them. For the per for the <laughs> well, purge, you know. Yeah. For the Is the CTA a government affiliated or whatever? I no, I don't think they are. I don't think they are. That might be something we could look then, into. Because then that I would chalk up to not responding yeah. quickly. Right. Yeah, because we, 
we we had the idea for the purge train on the last episode. We mm-hmm, had the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the uh, Esmeralda because of the holiday trains. Esmeralda was like, well, why not have a spring train with moss and flowers and things like that? It's so and, pretty. And then I said that we should have the sports trains, you know, for the teams when they say, you know, have the, have that kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but we haven't heard back. I mean, I, you know, I expected, uh, I expected a medium immediately after we dropped that episode. I expected, I thought we would be in meetings with the CTA all week. Oh yeah. But yeah. no, of no, course not. Nothing. Not. Crickets. No, nothing. Nothing. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. They like it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Carrie Russell and I love Nick's show. Oh, she's got t-shirts that say, let's do the purge train. Oh, oh, good for thank you, thank you for the support, Carrie Carrie. Russell, and I love Nick's show. Thank you very much, Carrie. Oh my God! Hey, oh, wait a minute, Esmeralda. Hmm. Um, And gentlemen, Michael Bolton. I look at that. Great minds think alike. Because I was just looking it up. We got it. You know, our friend. We hadn't heard from him in a while. We took a little break because he was like taking a break from. And we hadn't heard, but I understand that Michael Bolton is a little under the weather and has canceled some of his gigs. Do we know any more? You know, yeah. as the as the co-presidents of the Michael Bolton fan club, and we are best yeah. friends. Well, you know, yeah. and we, I mean, Michael Bolton. You know, we we, we I so, talk to him at least once a week. Yeah, of course. So, you know. what's the latest? Do we know the latest on Michael Bolton? And uh, he's under the weather. He's 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 kind of he's a little ill right now. Um, had I believe had to cancel the last leg of his current tour to recover or or feel better. So, do we know what is the latest in the Michael Bolton world? Do we so know? So it looks like he's canceled up to February. Okay. All right. Uh, so his on his website, uh-huh. the next date is February first, twenty twenty four. Okay. All right. And so- I don't know. I tried to talk to him. He would not talk to me. <laughs> He's just kind of mumbling. He was, he was mumbling. Sitting. I'm like, all right. He was just mumbling. Leave him alone. <laughs> Feel better. Um, but we we do know that um, he he canceled. He was supposed to play in Connecticut. Right. And he canceled the date. It was the sem- the seventeenth. So it hasn't even happened. So he must be not feeling good. Yeah, he must be out because we were. I remember talking. We were talking to him as brother, as we often do about how mm-hmm. much he was looking mm-hmm. forward. We were all looking forward to Connecticut because it's Connecticut is a lovely place to be during this time of year. The holidays in Connecticut. And he's yeah. from there. And he's oh, he's that's a correct. Native. That's right. He's from right. He's a native. He was going to show us around. Yeah. Wow. He must really be a little haunts. bit. The, yeah, he must be. He must really be under the weather to to not uh, mm-hmm. to cancel something in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and then not to talk to you, Esmeralda. I mean, come on, you know that. I know you're one of his favorite people. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. Uh, yeah. He just wow. might. I guess he's not feeling too hot. Wow. All right. Uh, but we don't know why. Just illness. Yeah. All right. That's All it. Right. Illness. Michael. Michael. Um. He's not feeling good, but yeah, he's uh because he's a lovely, lovely man. Right. Apparently, the date has been rescheduled for December of next year. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. So it is a Christmas concert then. That would be my guess is that he's doing a Christmas concert because yeah, most Christmas, likely, yeah. Christmas in Connecticut is a big thing, and it's his hometown, so it'll be next year. So he'll he'll reschedule and he'll it'll be next year. Okay. All right. So um. Yeah, but we did. He um. He canceled the one over here. 
We were so excited because yeah. it was at New New Buffalo, Michigan, but he postponed it. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, that one's for May, so we'll get to see him in the summertime. Right. Over here. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on what's happening with Michael Bolton as well as as uh, uh, as uh, Steve Stephen Segal says. Gentlemen, Michael Bolton. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, by the way, Esmeralda, are you aware that there is uh, a Twitter account or an X, whatever the fuck it's called, Twitter X account that's dedicated entirely? All it is is SNL guests introducing the musical guests on a loop. Oh, no, I did it's not. Absolutely hilarious. I don't know what the actual, uh, the you know, the, 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 the Twitter account is called. I think it's. Mm-hmm. celebrities introducing or, or SNL hosts introducing bands. I think it's that simple. Like I think if you do a search and all it is, is what they post is they do one post. I think they do a bunch of posts a day, but it's just on a loop. It's like that. It's just this. gentlemen, Michael Bolton. And then it'll go right. it'll, it'll over and over and again. Gentlemen, Michael Bolton. And it's, it's a video. So does that mean to say, will we, will we see that one on there? I would hope so. I would hope so. But it's it's. I mean, I sub. I'm actually. I subscribe to it now. I've 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 liked it or whatever you do on Twitter. What do you do on Twitter? Do you like? You follow? You follow? Uh, right? You follow, follow on Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I've followed it, and every day I think they put up maybe one or two, maybe a little bit more of just one celebrity introducing. You know, the time that they introduce the band, and then they put it on a loop so you can watch it 900 times. And some of them are hilarious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some of them are like right. the the way that people into like the way that I mean. Uh, 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 it's almost worth following alone just so you can see Christopher Walken introduce Foo Fighters because of the way he said Foo Fighters. You know what I mean? It's just, <laughs> <laughs> and some of some, some of them, some, some, some celebrities are very, very excited about introducing the musical act. Mm-hmm. Some people don't know who they are. They read it off the teleprompter wrong. And some people are, you know, just very professional about it. Uh, like this weekend when I watched uh, this past weekend, uh, you know, last, last week when I watched it with, um, Adam Driver, who, by the way, was spectacular on SNL mm-hmm. last weekend. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, is he a great host. He's so funny. But Olivia Rodrigo was the was the musical guest. And mm-hmm. he did it very, very Adam. You know how Adam Driver can be Captain Serious? You know what I mean? Because he's, he's an yes. actor. And he, yes. he, ladies and gentlemen, Olivia Rodrigo. That was like how he did it. Wow. So... Apparently, the, the Twitter account is by, they want to be anonymous. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, but um, Mashable uh, okay. interviewed them. Oh, they did? Mashable interviewed them? Okay, cool. Yeah, they did a little interview with them. And they just said they loved, they loved, they grew up watching SNL. They loved it. Um, and they would just reminisce about all the odd pairings of host and musical guest, And so he just started posting them. Uh, he started in September and nobody noticed. Uh, and then uh, I guess the one that like got it big was the one of Adrian Brody. And yeah. you see yeah. Paul, Sean Paul, where, yeah. 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 Adrian Brody is wearing dreads and that got him, introduced but, him in a by the Jamaican way, accent. Yeah. I don't know if you know that or not, Esmeralda, but that got him oh. banned. That got him banned from the show. Good. That's yeah, so it got him banned from the show, like, and, and, it, and it was improvised. It was totally on? improvised. It was totally improvised. Of course, it was. Uh, and so, and you know, <laughs> obviously, Lauren didn't know anything about it, 
and uh, and, and you know, he went out there and he did that, and he had the dreads and the hat, and he was talking in a really offensive Good Jamaican Lord. accent. And Lauren Michaels is behind the camera going, "What the fuck is this guy doing?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, but I, yeah, that's the one. That's one of the most infamous, if not the most infamous. Uh, musical guest introductions in the history of SNL. You know what? I got to get yeah. this. I got to get this anonymous guy on my SNL podcast. I got to get you him. You should. You're yeah, gonna have to like yeah. ask if you can. You might have to like yeah blur his voice. Yeah, or we'll something. have to deepen his. We'll do. We'll do. We'll do one of those CIA. <laughs> you know, like voice modulator to get his voice all deep and shit, so nobody can recognize it. Like he's like he's like he like he's in this podcast. <laughs> like he's in the like he's in the witness protection program, you know. Yeah, like that, yeah. <laughs> no, but I'll get this guy on. I'm I'm writing it down right now to get that guy. To yeah, get that you should. You can, yeah. He's you know but he's got many many more to go. So. It's really it's really a lot of fun actually. You can get kind of a because there was one time when I when I first saw it I was like oh that's pretty funny because it was I don't remember who it was but it was mm-hmm. one of the hosts introducing the group and it was on a loop over and over and over again. I'm like, wow, this is funny. So I clicked on and I went to the page itself to the, to the Twitter page or the account or the X thing. And I was like, Oh shit. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then I went kind of down a wormhole and I just kept watching intros of <laughs> that they had. And I kept scrolling down and I kept watching, you know, yeah. ho- host intro after host intro after host intro. And some of them were hilarious, man. And, and it really got kind of, weirdly addictive and hypnotic. I was like, oh, this is, and especially for, <laughs> you know, especially for an SNL geek like me, you know, I was like, oh, wow, this yeah. is. So, yeah, so, all right, cool. So Mashable, so that's out there, right? People can check out that uh, that interview with uh, with them? Yeah, you just uh, just do a quick, just look for Twitter, Twitter guest. Yeah. Or musical guest SNL. Okay, all right. Introducing, you'll, yeah, you just you Google it. it. Google this- it. Google it. But this one's got to be on there. Gentlemen, Michael Bolton. It's got to be. I mean, it's got to be. And and I would imagine that if it's not, and if it, you know, when they finally do post that one, the the, the amount of hits that that is going to take, because it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's Steven Seagal. So uh, he hasn't, or they, I'm not sure who, because it's okay. anonymous. Okay. Um, Or wait, I think he, I think they did say he. Okay. Anyway. Um, they haven't really hit anything, um, before 2005 or after 2005. Um, maybe it's after yeah, 2005. They haven't even touched episode after 2005, so they right. got plenty they of got time a, to hit they do, Michael Bolton. Yeah. Michael Bolton. <laughs> yeah, Michael Bolton was, uh, that was in the 90s, so they, they could have posted Yeah, so they got a minute, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they got a lot to choose. I mean, it's 49 seasons, you know, and... Um, it's 49 seasons. We are in season 49 right now. And that's, and by the way, that's two introductions a show because each, you know, each time they Mm -hmm. perform twice Mm -hmm. and and sometimes even more because in the seventies, they would have more than one musical guest sometimes. So, wow. Yeah. So there is a ton. No wonder this person started this, you know, this, this, uh, this, this little, uh, channel, uh, because, that's a lot of material. That's forty. I mean, I got a lot of material to choose from on my podcast, but this is very like mm-hmm. two, two an episode at least, two introductions an episode at least, forty nine years worth of episodes, two introductions an episode. That's a lot of stuff to fill up on your channel. That's a lot of stuff to fill up on your mm-hmm. so, and oddly hypnotic. Seriously, like even if they're normal, <laughs> like I'm like I'm watching it. I'm like, oh man, you know, like you know, like oh, there's Joe Pesci. He's introducing a band, or and then it's always interesting too. You know what else is fun, Esmeralda? Is 
Like when they introduced a specific band that was only that had that window where they were popular for like six months or something. Oh, God, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's so, like, especially in the '90s, you know, like when you when you when you got these, you know, like. Uh, you know, like here, here's, you know, like whatever, here's live. You know, you remember how popular that band was in the 90s? Yeah, group? like no one could. Who the hell is live anymore? Exactly. <laughs> like the, and there nobody. are so many bands like that, you know. Uh, um, and I, and whenever I, whenever I, when I do stuff on my, on my podcast, on my SNL podcast, I always, whenever I play a clip or talk about it, I always give the season and the episode number so people can find it on online or they can find it on Peacock. And I always mm-hmm. tell whatever bit I'm playing, I always tell who the host is and who the musical guest was. And sometimes the musical guests are hilarious because they're like, you know, like one hit wonders. They're like, man, you remember? Like they had the, the like, uh, who, uh, what was his name? The guy who did the Mambo number five, Vega. What was his name? Lou Vega. Lou Vega, yeah. Lou Vega was a musical guest. So you know, you can automatically, you know exactly when that episode happened. You know what I mean? Like you did Lou Vega? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had him as a musical guest. He only guest. played yeah. once? No, he played two songs. I mean, he played, yeah. I what mean, other song? I don't know. I don't remember. But <laughs> oh at the time. Oh my God, that's like a B cut. Yeah. Or the B side version yeah. of essentially. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to remember some of the other. I mean, there are so many. That you can go back and look, and again, you can find that when you when you go to this to this page, you can look back and go, "Holy shit, they were a musical guest!" Like I can't believe these bands, yeah. and you know exactly the time period. You know, like as soon as, as soon as you you mm-hmm. know you know mm-hmm. you, it's like, "Oh shit, I know." You know, this was 1993 or this was 1987 or this, you know, that kind yeah. of yeah. I mean, even looking at the guests, the yeah, the, the true the host host, yeah, absolutely. even just not even they could be somebody. You know, it could be Tom Hanks or whatever, but. The way you see him dressed, yeah, um, it's, it's, you'll be like, it, "Oh, okay, this is later, yep. this is that's, earlier, or whatever." That's one of my favorite things about doing the podcast is digging, going back in time. Whenever I talk about certain things <clears throat> and mm-hmm. finding some stuff like from the '80s or something that's so weirdly dated, and then getting to talk about it on my S. By, by the way, for the people who might not know, I have an SNL podcast that's dedicated entirely to Saturday Night Live. It's called "That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years" an SNL podcast. By the way, we got to get you on. You haven't been on yet. I want to get you on to talk about your favorite sketches and your favorite stuff of all time. Let's do that sometime. Let's do that soon. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I know you, you know, you were a fan of SNL. There was that period. What, what was the strong period for you? What were your, your, do you, do you remember Um, like your favorite cast? When was it? Definitely. It it had to have been when Mike Myers. That. Yeah. Um, Dana Carvey, Mike Myers. Yeah. Mm, Dana Carvey, Mike Myers. When the, we were actually, I forget what we were watching, but I was, I started cracking up because I was like, I loved the time period when the char- a character would have this little opening theme song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they would so have that their, yeah. that was my favorite time. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and Headwound Harry. Yep. Oh God. Oh, massive Headwound Harry. Oh my God. Yeah, that so sketch. He had his own little. They all he had did. little theme songs. They did. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. Put- <laughs> Yeah, middle aged man. Middle aged man had one. They all did. They oh. all. You're absolutely right. And uh, but yeah, that was one of my. Massive Head Wound Harry uh, is one of my favorite. They only did it once. It's one of my favorite sketches of all time. Really? And, yeah, they only did it one time. And and it was on yeah, the, the, the host. Hell? And here, I can I can tell you, I can't remember who the musical guest was, but the host was was Linda Hamilton when T2 was right after T2. So it's 1991. Yeah. And so Linda Hamilton was the host. And I remember, the, I don't know if you're, do you remember that the dog almost tore the wig? Yes. Off That's of- like the big. <laughs> 
Oh my god! All right, well, let's save this. Let's save this conversation for my SNL yeah. podcast. So, but, that, but it's, that was my whatever that that era. That, that's was. the that's the early early mid nineties. Early mid nineties. That's yeah. The, yeah, yeah. When they're yeah, doing you, all the all the theme yep. songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody had a theme song. They brought that back. It was gone for a while, but they brought that back. Debbie Downer has one, and she was like yeah. the mid two thousands. And Debbie Downer yeah. has one. Uh, and so, yeah, and they, they do that every once in a while now. They do it every once in a while now. Not not as much. But, yeah, at that in that time period, uh, as well as in the 90s, yeah, everybody had a fucking uh, had a theme song. Yeah, <laughs> and that was always my favorite. Because, yeah, you'd be like, da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. And it was always like the yeah. old-timey kind of thing. Yeah. And there was also didn't like – because, I mean, obviously Mike Myers had all that because he had sprockets, you know, and he had – Mm-hmm. What was the what was the British little British bastard who did drawings? Oh, Simon. Simon. He he had a theme song. Yeah. Um, well, he the, had, well his thing was because it was he was doing a TV show. Oh right, that's right. He was doing a cable. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. He's doing a cable, yeah, a BBC, right. whatever. That's yeah. right. That's right. Okay. All right. Well, that's that will that'll be what we talk about. Your favorite time period of SNL. Okay. So everybody, if you're not listening to my uh, and you're not subscribing to my SNL podcast, shame on you. Number one, especially if you're a fan of Saturday Night Live. Number two, you should. It's called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. And I don't believe that. I titled it that because of irony. <laughs> because <laughs> I hate it when people say, that show hasn't been funny in years. So, but anyway, it's called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years. New episodes drop every Wednesday right here at RadioMisfits.com. Uh, so subscribe, and it's available on every uh, every format and uh, um, and every platform. But yeah, Esmeralda, we'll, we'll do that soon. Let's let's make that sooner than later, okay? I'll get you on to talk about mm-hmm. your fa- your favorite. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's make it the first show of the new year. Let's do that. All right, then. My, the first episode, because it'll be my second anniversary. So let's do that. Because yeah. in January, it'll be, uh, it'll be a year. Uh, it'll, be, nice. so it'll be my first anniversary. It'll be a year. So we'll do it then. We'll do it in the first, the first, the first episode, the first new episode to drop in 2024 will be you as a guest on the SNL podcast. Let's do that. Lovely. All right. Perfect. Awesome. Very cool. All right. Uh, so uh, wait, we, we, we haven't done this in a while. Ow! Okay, I just want to do that. <laughs> How about this? One? We haven't done this one. In a while. Who cares? Still one of the greatest. Who cares? One of the greatest line readings ever, ever. <laughs> Because you know the script just said, who cares? You know what I mean? Like in the script, it just said, yeah. who cares? But Elaine Stritch decided, who cares? And it's one of my favorites. But that's, that's genius. And she that is the true yeah. sign, yeah. Yep, she was a genius. She was a genius. God, I loved Elaine Stritch. She was so amazing. Great singer, great dancer, really funny, terrific actress. And she's responsible for the greatest line reading in the history of film. Who cares? <laughs> okay. All right. So, Esmeralda, you and I have talked repeatedly about how dumb people are. Yes. But I love, and we love also (laughs) talking about, these are real warnings. Because people are so dumb, there are corporations and companies that make products or manufacture things, and they have to put these warnings on because at some point, somebody did something so stupid that you are now required to put a warning. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So here, let me give you a couple. Let's see if some of these are our favorites. How about this? On a Swedish, this is a, these are actual warnings, product product warnings or signs or things like that. These are real. Uh, on a uh, Swedish chainsaw. Do not attempt not do not attempt to stop chain with your hands or genitals. <laughs> oh boy, <Yeah>. what? Mm. <laughs> That just, I know. I, it's just uh, interesting. 
that that's like there's so many other you know like with head or arm yeah but genitals but genitals yeah. okay because apparently okay. somebody must yeah. have like put their crotch on a chainsaw at some point thinking that that would be the best way to, to do it so i don't clearly yeah <laughs> I don't know what they were. I don't know. All right. Even uh, at my, sure. even even at my drunkest, Esmeralda, and you know, I used to get very drunk. Even at my drunkest, I would never stick my genitals on a chainsaw. I'm pretty sure that I would not try to stop the mm-hmm. chain of a chainsaw with yeah. my ball with my balls. I just wouldn't do that. It just seems no. Yeah. Like yeah. How, um... <laughs> how about this one, Esmeralda? How about well, this one? Like how would it even stop it? <laughs> What did you? Why would you even think? Well, you know, uh, this thing is this thing can go through wood and and stuff and go through an entire tree, right? But it will not be able to go through my balls. I have balls. It's gonna get of- stuck, <laughs> and then I'll like, what? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I or if it's a, if it's a woman, I have a very strong vagina. I can really the muscles like, in yeah, the no, muscles in my seems- the muscles in my vagina are very strong. I've been told. So uh, I. <laughs> All right. No. So, so in case you were wondering, uh, do not, uh, do not try to stop a chainsaw with your genitals. Okay. And then you said Swedish, right? Yeah, it said sweet. So it must have happened in Sweden. So this. So what's some, going on with the Swedes? I don't know. Somebody was <laughs> blasting. Somebody. I think I, this is how I picture it. Somebody was blasting. So you know, like somebody was drinking. Uh, somebody was drinking glug. Um and um, and. Uh, <laughs> And somebody was drinking Glug and blasting ABBA and decided it would be a good idea to put their balls on a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's so. The, that's the only explanation that I can think of. So, I, I don't know. Man. So, um, all right. Uh, so, anyway. Uh, all right. What are, some, what are some of these other ones here? We've got uh, more warnings here. Let's see. Um, how about... Uh, how about this? On shin pads for cyclists. Shin guards cannot okay. pro- shin ba- shin guards cannot protect any part of the body that they do not cover. <laughs> so how I'm guessing like someone had a shin guard on, fell and hurt their elbow and went, goddamn shin guard. You know, what I- <laughs> or are you putting it on your elbow? Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, it's only but but I think what this is because it says, uh, it says but shin because, guard like so. Well, here, so say you put it on your elbow. Your elbow is bendable. A shin is not right. So if you put that shin guard on your elbow, it's just gonna like, f- like poof out. Yeah, you know, and it's not gonna bend to your elbow. I would not think. Yeah, you would think. But like I think you can't put it like on your face. I think, I think I someone think it's my, enough. No, it's not. I don't think it's going to work on your face either. But I think what I think my, my because of the way this is because of the way this is worded, shin guards cannot protect any part of the body they do not cover. So my guess is like someone tried to sue the shin guard company because they broke their elbow while wearing shin guards. You know what I mean? And then right. it's like, wait, no, oh, they asshole. Fell. Yeah, they fell. Their shins were fine, but their elbows weren't, and they wanted to blame the people for the shin <laughs> for the shin guards. Right. Like the, but like the how shin dare guards. You? Yeah, I was wearing I shin guards. Yeah, I was wearing shin guards. Okay. Why are my elbows fucked up? They should have protected yeah. my elbows too. Yeah. Like my shins should have stopped me. Exactly. 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 From me falling completely. <laughs> yeah. So in in some sort of litigious way. 
this had this happened and they went all right well we have to put a fucking notice on here now because some jagoff tried to sue us because he hurt his elbow while wearing shin guards <laughs> He's so yeah fantastic. yeah <laughs> um all right all right uh emergency safety procedure at a u.s summer camp okay this is an emergency mm-hmm. safety mm-hmm. procedure at a u.s summer camp in case of flood, proceed uphill. In case of flash flood, proceed uphill quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's true. That's it's true. true. Go up faster. Flash floods are quicker. <laughs> that's good. That's a good go one. Same, you, can't, you can't go the flood speed. You right. got to go the flash flood speed. That's, that's a good one. much quicker. That is a, that's good. That is a good one. Oh, man, that's funny. Go uphill quickly. All right. Uh, how about in a microwave oven manual? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So clearly, let's think about this for a second. I'm going to read what this says, but but remember, this was put in the manual because clearly somebody did this. Okay. Right. Okay. In a microwave manual, it says, "Do not use for drying pets." <laughs> um. I mean. <laughs> so. So somebody They're like, just evidently, it'll be fine. Yeah, just put the just put the ferret in the microwave. It'll be all right. Just, cool. just like a minute. Like it's just not gonna. It can't. I mean, it can't heat up my soup in a minute. How yeah. is it gonna? It'll be all right. Ah, <laughs> uh, the gosh, shit. The hamster fell in the bathtub. Let's put it in the microwave. It'll be fine. Yeah, it'll it'll warm it up. It'll feel so good. It'll be so comfy in there. <laughs> so again, something had to happen. So that they to to, to make somebody them put, this put their hamster in the somebody, damn microwave. Somebody and <laughs> right after right after they put their right after, right after they put their balls on the chainsaw, they put their goddamn hamster. <laughs> <laughs> they did that, and then they saw, oh no, my hamster fell in some water. He's That's right. Dry off. The noise He's of taking the, me to the hospital. So you need the, to dry the off hamster. hamster is taking me to. The hospital. <laughs> And then there probably, because of that, there was probably a warning about not letting hamsters drive your car. There's probably a warning somewhere about that. Right. Because this one Jagoff who put his... for whoever did both. The one Jagoff who put his balls on a chainsaw uh, also microwaved his, ham- his hamster after making it drive. So there you go. Mm. All right. Oh, man. All right. How about this one? On the bottom of a cola bottle, okay? Mm-hmm. The bottom mm-hmm. of a cola bottle. Do not open here. Yeah, I mean, I have uh, opened things the wrong way, but not a many bottle. a time. Not like a well, no, not a bottle, but like packages and like bags and things. Sure, sure. And then you realize, oh, this had a yeah. Ziploc on top. <laughs> exactly. No, no, no. But that makes sense. But a bottle of Coke, like you turn it over, like I think I, I, I don't know how to open this. I'm going to turn it over and try to crack open the bottom. You know what I mean? Like well, maybe the- they, they thought they're like, I don't have a bottle opener. So. Oh yeah. I'm maybe I have to crack this. I'm going to smash it on the side of a cabinet. Yeah. 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 And then yeah. I'll just, you know, I'll catch the, I'll catch the Coke on the way out right. on the way. <laughs> and I'll sift through the glass to get to the, Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll, it'll be, be fine. All right. But do not open here. The next time you have a bottle of uh, a bottle of uh, pop Esmeralda. When you turn it over, see if there's a warning on the bottom that says "Do not yeah. open here." I mean, I I didn't do it. Colin did it. Okay. Oh. oh <laughs> Recently oh. opened a um, it was a package of cookies. Okay. And he opened it. 
out of one of the ends. And he was like, why is this so hard to open? Oh, he was like, because it's really the peel struggling. thing on top. They have the peel thing on top now. <laughs> the yeah. peel thing. Yeah. I was like, you didn't see the peel thing? Right. <laughs> he was really struggling trying to uh, open that. No, that's fa- fair enough because that's, I, I have to say that that is a fairly new invention. It's been around mm-hmm. a little while, but it's fairly new. And for those of us who grew up by opening the end of a of, like Oreos, right. when you open up the package of Oreos, you go to the end and you open it. But now you have that little peely thing on top where you pull it back, and then it's you know you peel mm-hmm. it back, and it, it's a, it's a little flap on top now. It's yes. very convenient. It's, it's great, and stay closed, and it never. And, does. and you can close it, and it no exactly exactly. It's supposed to real reseal. It never really does. No, but. Yeah. You no longer have to open those perforated, tightened ends on the box yes. of Oreos. So I, tr- I feel like the tra- they've really tightened them. Yeah, they have. <laughs> super. They've super tightened them. And I think, I guess Colin found that out. Like, what yeah. the hell? Why can't yeah, I open? Why, uh, the, are these like you can't eat these? Or- are these Oreos not meant to be eaten? What the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, because it, now it's the tricky It's the tricky pull flap on top that's supposed to reseal mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. i have some i by the way i'm looking at a i'm looking at one of those right now with the peel flap i have little i have oreos thins uh, mm, okay. on my dining room table that which i'm looking at right now and there's a flap that you pull on top you no longer have to open the ends but then you know like opening and i find that you know relatively convenient sometimes you have to put something on top of it so that it doesn't peel back because the stick the sticky sticky right. stuff doesn't do it. yeah because it doesn't get as sticky anymore no but now you don't have to get like those paper those uh those potato chip clip things to put on the end of a cookie thing you know what i mean you know how you would put the potato chip clippy yeah. thing on the end now so you... i have a i have a a fresh saver do you remember the fresh saver does that suck all the air out is that what that Yes. Ah. It's a giant contraption that I bought thinking, I'm going to fresh save all my food. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't do that. I literally just use it for um, resealing things. (laughs) Yeah. Which I guess is great. It's nice. It's nice. No, no, no. Um, um, So you can do it so it doesn't take the air out. It'll just seal it. It'll just seal without taking the air out. Right. Right. So like people do that. Like packages are kind of holy and they, they don't. They're oh, not I see. Like if you do do it, they yeah. don't. They don't do it. But you can hit a button and just to seal it, and it'll seal it up. Oh, that's cool. So that's how I. Yeah. That's a great invention. That's a great invention. Now I know that those they have those things. This is different. Now I'm just going off on a tangent in my brain because I'm an idiot uh, and I I get distracted easily. <laughs> but remember, you know those things that you where you go like, eh, I gotta put clothes away for the winter, and you get that thing and you stick it in the plastic mm. and, it, and it sucks all that shit out and shrinks yeah, you your vacuum it. They vacuum. It's like vacuum packing. Yeah. Yeah. You vacuum are, seal it. Those are cool as hell, right? You know. I mean, those are amazing. Yeah. And like you, you gotta... supposedly you can do it too for um, like if you travel, mm-hmm. you can do it too. I guess. Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can suck down a suit, and it's all like. An, an yeah, order. but then and then they just look like sheets. Yeah. And you stack them up, and you're saving space. Exactly, and it's like you you've got like a giant thick ass, crazy ass, thick ass winter comforter. Put mm-hmm. that thing in there, suck all the juice out. Boom! You, it's you really should pancake. have been the the salesman for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I know how to describe big products. Ass, big ass <laughs> comforter. <laughs> I think that's technically the actual term for it. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. no, yeah. I think I've seen it at the Macy's. Yeah. Big ass, thick ass comforter. <laughs> 
Now even more thick ass. You know, <laughs> <laughs> now with even more thick assness. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. All right. So, uh, all right. So you got the that sealer though. Do you do you, do you have you had that a long time? Is that is that a is that I've an had oft, it for is, a very long time. It, and it's an often used item in your kitchen then. Yeah, but only to seal things, not to the intended purpose, which is to put them in their baggies and then suck out all the air and seal them. I got you. So you just use it for sealing. <laughs> yeah. I'm just literally sealing things. Okay. I all really right. actually never really use the bags. Like once I ran out of the bags that they gave me, I never bought more. <laughs> right. <laughs> I didn't want to do it. I was like, oh, this is a waste. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you're still using the product though, and it seems to be a popular, I am, I guess. a popular, a popular product <laughs> that's used in your household. So that's good, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, okay. All right, let's do a couple of more warnings here. How about this one on a Harry Potter wizard's broom? Sure. The warning is this broom does not actually fly. So kids were clearly jumping off porches and shit. You know what I mean? Oh and, boy! And out windows, thinking that they could fly, that yeah. they could that they could play uh, Quidditch. You know. See, my thing is, why wouldn't you start small? Like maybe off a step, just yeah. off one step. Now kids are jumping out of high rises. They were like, just no, just... no, no. It's got to be real high, or it doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, I got, it's got to be able to fly. I don't want to fly out of the second story window. I want to go out the or off a. You would think like, oh, stand on a chair in the house. Yeah. Now stand, jump off, and see how it goes. I'm going no? to the fi- okay. I'm going to the I'm, I'm going to the fifth floor balcony, and I'm go, taking my go big or go home. Apparently, exactly. exactly. <laughs> God Almighty. Uh, yeah. Hey, by the way, um, you know, you know um, how I'm obsessed with these stupid uh, cooking reality shows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I now have a cohort in crime because uh, Julie and I watch Hell's Kitchen every week together. Oh, it's like boy. appointment TV for us now. So now I actually yeah. have somebody I actually have somebody to watch that stupid shit with. Um, <laughs> and she likes she likes Hell's Kitchen. There was a dude who who got kicked off, I think, week three. You know, he got booted mm-hmm. out week three. But he was a professional Quidditch player. That was one of his things. How, what? <laughs> that's. I knew that's exactly you... that is exactly the response I expected from how what? It's exactly. But this guy was a dork and he was like a I guess he was a sous chef in the kitchen somewhere. And he wasn't he got booted after three weeks or whatever. But he's like he's like yeah I play Quidditch professionally and they're in the dorms together with all the other professionally yeah I guess there's like there are Quidditch leagues across the world that you can play now obviously obviously you don't fly but you do have to like run around with a broom between your legs and try yeah there is um professional Quidditch isn't yeah no I'm not kidding this idiot was and and here's here's the thing though Israel here's the thing. He's like, yeah, I play Quidditch. I love Quidditch. And he's a, he was a dorky guy. He had glasses, and he was kind of a, a goofy, goofy dude. And then mm-hmm. he started talking about Quidditch and how he plays Quidditch. And then, uh, like, and, and, and Gordon was like, what, you, you, you play what? And he, <laughs> Even he's like, what? What the fuck, fuck are you talking about? And then, like, and then, but here's the thing, though. Are you ready for this? This guy, yeah. has, this guy has never read a Harry Potter book nor seen a movie. So how did he, he just went, he was like, that looks fun. Yeah, that I looks mean, cool. I think I'll play Quidditch. And then it was like, oh, this is the Harry Potter game? They're like, yeah, you dumbass. And that's the, <laughs> it's, a, it's a total invention of from J.K. Rowling's mind. She made it up when she was writing the Harry Potter books. It's not a real thing. He didn't, he so never, never saw a Harry Potter called, movie. Yeah. I think it's now called Quad Ball. Oh, that's what they call it for humans. It's, it's for muggles. Right. So for, uh, for us muggles, it's Quad Ball. Okay. 
I mean, I think it's a thing of like they're trying to get away from the whole Quidditch thing because they do have they did have a Quidditch thing. It was it was mlquidditch.com, but when you go there, it tells you like, oh, everything's at quadball.com. Oh, because they're trying to make it re they're trying to like they're trying to minimalize the dorky aspect to it. The, you know what I mean? The you know, you know, like the the kids kids book aspect to it and try to make it kind yeah. of more try to make it as realistic a sport as possible by calling it quad ball instead of, you know, named after a Harry Potter thing. I see. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well Yeah, there's um unfortunately oh wait, is there one here? Hold on. Oh, there is. Oh, I'm not surprised. <laughs> not surprised at all. Oh, wait a minute. Hold, the hold Chicago up. Prowl. Hold on, hold on a second. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and oh. I love Nick's show. Oh, she's wearing a she's wearing a Quidditch T-shirt, and she's got a broom right now. So, oh, okay. oh hi, wow. I'm Carrie Russell, and I <laughs> right. love Nick's show. Thank you very much. So, okay, wait a minute. What's the so there's a, a Chicago Quidditch team? What what are they called? So they used to be the Indianapolis Intensity, but that they re, then they relocated to Chicago this year, and they re, re, rebranded as the Chicago Prowl. Oh which I don't get. I don't get it. Now, are they quad ball or Quidditch? They're quad ball, right? This is quad ball. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it's, the, um, it's, it's I don't the, understand the. It's, it's them trying to legitimize Quidditch by calling it quad ball. Okay. Yeah. All right. No, I don't understand the. I don't get the Chicago Prowl. So the it's a tight, not a tiger, but a. Uh, what's that other one? That other cat. Cougar, um, cougar, maybe. Oh well, I guess. Do we have cougars? Well, there. Yeah, I mean, there are cougars. Uh, there is a. There are teams. I mean, they're not in Chicago, but there are teams named after cougars. There are sports teams named okay. after every, every kind of animal. I mean, you know. Right, but are there are there some here? Like, are there cougars like actual animals? No, in Chicago. Well, there's that one that one time, but that one was like yeah. somebody's, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. No, I don't know. Maybe that's where it came from. But they're now the well, Prowl. Well, anyway, I don't the get it. Yeah. They're the Prowl. The Chicago Prowl. Okay. All right. Well, it's a whole thing. And so, the guy and the guy who got kicked off week three of Hell's Kitchen was a member of the of that sport. Well, I wonder what team he played for. I don't know. The, the, there's the, there's the, divisions. The LA, the LA Jagoffs, I believe. He was on the LA Jagoffs, I think. Is what <laughs> yeah, that was... But I'm wondering if on his broom, it said, like this actual warning on a Harry Potter wizard's broom, this broom does not actually fly. I wonder if they actually have that on every broom. I in, mean, yeah, in they got it. In quad ball, you know. Oh, my God. This is, wow. You have opened a whole new <laughs> world for me here. This is interesting. Uh, yeah, it's a real thing. And it was just this dork on uh, on Hell's Kitchen. He was, he was, he was a really bad. He was, he was a bad chef and not very good in the kitchen at all. Like he was terrible on the. Yeah, line. I don't. That show, I am so confused by it. Um, it's not okay. It's not really a confusion. It's more just like, what for? Because <laughs> those people just seem not good at their jobs, and I'm like, don't you do this for a living? <laughs> yeah, some of them do, some of them don't, and 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 uh, I I love Hell's Kitchen. I think it's great. Because I like to see Gordon Ramsay yell at people while they're on, while they're trying to ser- do a service. That's my favorite part of the show is the last yeah. half hour when they do the service, when they fuck up the service, and, and and inevitably there will be at least one or two moments during the episode where he goes, "It's raw, fuck off," and he'll like throw chicken at people. Yeah, and that that's, well, that's my thing. Like when you watch, it's like when you watch Top Chef. Yeah, 
they might get something a little underdone or a little whatever. Yeah. But it's not like that. Yeah. Well, Top Chef is like legit. That's legit. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's, that's what legit I mean. Show. Like these, like these bozos. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's on Fox. You know, there's a big I'm difference. Like, oh, between, he's yeah. a line cook who works yeah. at some dink restaurant. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. And they have them in there. Like they, you know, they, they, they interview these people. They go, okay, this guy's an idiot. Put him on. Cause it'll be funny to talk about Quidditch. You know what I mean? Cause it's <laughs> at, at its core, at its core, it's a reality show. You know what I mean? Like you want to make the yeah. most, you know, you go, because they're, because right now there are still two or three dickheads that are left because they are entertaining and aggravating. And you want that on a reality show, you know? They're not going to get hired. Like, if this is a legit thing, like, this guy's got to, whoever wins, this woman or this man who wins, they have to be the head chef at a kitchen that's run by Gordon Ramsay, at a, a restaurant that's run by Gordon Ramsay. So, oh, if it's they a legit. Do they? Uh, yeah, no, they, they do. That's the, like, no, that's the point. Like, that's, letting them really. Well, it, it, it no, depends. But the other people, they, in the end, didn't really do what the prize was. Oh, no, a lot of people have. Some of them haven't, but a lot of people have. And they bring them back. Uh, on episodes to say, hey, here's my head chef in this place, and here's my head chef in that place. So there are legitimate people. Now, there are people who have won in the past who are idiots and got fired, but mm-hmm. there are people who, through that you know, that competition, now are head chefs, and there are regulars on, on Hell's Kitchen. The two people that are uh, the, the, the guy that works in the men's kitchen and the woman that works in the, in the woman's kitchen are, are uh, people who, who were on Chef's Kitchen, or uh, who are on Chef's Kitchen, yes, in Jewel. They were on Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> yeah. So, mm, but yeah, but, but then, but then, you know, because it's a reality show, you have to have every once in a while, you have to have some idiot who knows what, who plays Quidditch because it's a reality right. show. You have to have it. But see, and, that's uh, the thing. No, I was nope. going to say, by the way, if you wanted to play. Oh, if you want to play Quidditch? Try out. Yeah. <laughs> you just mlquadball.com. Okay. There are tryouts that start in, um, I believe, spring 2024. Yeah. And you just find your city. so And then you just email them. Okay. All right. So say, if you want to be part of the Chicago Prowl. There we go. We are a full service <laughs> podcast. For those of you yeah. who are interested Anyone in playing. Anyone who has dreams of being a Quidditch player. There. We've just, we've just fulfilled them for you. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. All, right. All right. Well. All right. Well, those are just some of the dumb warnings. So remember, when you're playing quad ball or Quidditch, the broom does not actually fly. <laughs> just so you know. Yeah. Yeah. Keep just that so in you. mind. Don't don't um yeah. don't go to the Quidditch tryouts right. thinking that you're going to fly around. <laughs> you're not going to fly. So. All right. Cool. All right. All right, Esmeralda. That was cool. Thank you. We've got more dumb warnings that we can get to next time. And also next time, Amy Guth, the lovely Amy Guth, oh. is going to join me uh, to talk about uh, some of the stuff that she's been doing as she's been working on movies in L.A. And she uh, actually texted me the other night and said, oh, my God, do I have a showbiz weird story for you? Mm. Okay, so we have that to look forward to. So Amy Guth, uh, next time, Amy Guth, my thanks to Michael Phillips from the Chicago Tribune for joining me. Esmeralda, you rule, uh, as always. Oh, thank you. And my thanks to you for subscribing and listening. Spread the word. Tell other people to do that and uh, and share and rate and review us on every platform. Be a sponsor. You got a business you want to advertise or a product? This is a great place to do it. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Leave your voicemail 24-7-773-417-6948. Drop us an email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. I read them all and listen to them all and play a lot of them back here on the show. Jason Skaggs does all the music and the sounds and the themes, and that's cool, and Ed does everything else. Check out radiomisfits.live, our 24-hour streaming service, and we'll see you next time on the Nick D Podcast. Thanks, everybody. The wind is right on me.